Hi there, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Cloud-Based Mayhem. I just got off the phone, did a very long talk that was totally outrageous with Phil Heistek. Phil runs a paragliding school down in Queensland in Australia. He is the longest uh, by time instructor down in that part of the world. He's been teaching for more than 30 years. Started teaching hang gliding back in the late 80s early 90s and started teaching paragliding because he was forced to a pretty funny story about that and he was teaching out in the pacifica and the dumps and san francisco and flew xc and the owens and uh, lakeview and eventually all over the world and when i talked to him he had just gotten back from a four-week full biv trip out in beer with a bunch of mates he used to guide out there he was he's taught a whole bunch of uh very big names over the years including Nick Nanans and good mates with Johnny Duran and taught him how to paraglide and he's his neighbor but uh, this is just a riot we get into some fantastic terrain and talk about all kinds of crazy stories and uh, a little bit of his, his, his history I would have loved to talk a lot more but uh, this one runs long, it's two hours, but it just gets better and better and better. So hang in there all the way through. We get into some fantastic stuff about you know, the lessons he's learned and what he's trying to teach his students. Uh, Phil is 65 years old. He's got a fused ankle, and so far this year he's done 171,000 meters of vertical gain. of hike and fly. He's super passionate about hike and fly, which he does mostly out of his backyard there in Queensland. But set all kinds of records and and, uh, going up hills and flying and just fantastic this was a riot and I basically just laughed for two hours and yeah you'll you'll hear about stories in Bali and uh, a crazy accident and learning about how to recognize red flags and the, the devil and the angel sitting on our shoulder and just some great stuff. You'll hear a lot of names and legends. He's one a legend, of course, in his own right. But you know, John Heine and Mitch McAleer, and uh, this was just a ball. Please enjoy this fantastic talk. We'll call this the first one with Phil Highstick because we're going to have to follow this up with, with several more to catch up. So enjoy. Cheers. Phil, uh, great to have you on the show. I'm super excited to talk to you about all kinds of things, including your four-week uh, trip that you just had out to beer. Sounds like you had some fantastic flying. We were just chatting it up uh, in the before we started recording here, but I don't, I don't know where to start with you. There's so many places we we could start. You know, you've been at this game an awfully long time. You were just saying you're the the longest uh, you you've been instructing in Australia longer than anybody if you can if you just put it together one you started in 92 and and you were uh this is a good yeah. place to start you said you were forced to start paracliding <laughs> what does that mean <laughs> <laughs> yeah well well good to good to talk to you again um yeah i do think i i sort of when you first uh suggested i talk to you i think you i thought you'd you'd uh ask the wrong person or you're scraping the bottom of the barrel because I don't think I'm that I honestly don't think I'm that like that special I just I just been I've just been I think I've been hitting my head against a brick wall for long enough for, for just long enough you know that's why I'm still here 
<laughs> but anyway, so the so uh, like I started I started thinking about hang gliding back in the night back in I uh, would have been uh, the late seventies when I first left school, right? Because I left school in um, I, <laughs> as I can tell you, I'm a sixty five I'm sixty five at the moment, right? So I left school in seventy six. And I started work as an aircraft engineer, fixing aeroplanes up, right? And um, um, and because my father was a commercial pilot and instructor and everything else, normal aeroplanes, um, I sort of did a lot of flying with him, but I never had a license, right? Anyway, I must have said a few things about learning about about hangers. I, I remember, like, my father tried to teach me how to fly aeroplanes. I didn't like this. It was like drilling holes in the sky with a big propeller, you know, just roaring around, just, just, just throwing the air all to pieces, you know? And I, I really didn't like it. But we we lived on this on this big property. My father owned this five thousand acre cattle property up in the mountains above Tamworth, just actually right near Manila, halfway okay. between Manila and Bendemeer. So you know Manila is. So I used to watch eagles, big beast-tailed eagles, thermaling up, and I thought it was the most beautiful thing watching them, rather than aeroplanes flying around making a lot of noise. And I heard, I'd sort of read stories back in old popular mechanics magazines, that sort of stuff about people making hang gliders and flying hang gliders. And they really, like I thought, now that's got to be it, you know. So um, I'd sort of seen some pictures of people doing these hang gliders. And, and I must have, I was sharing a house with these two crazy dudes. Um, and one day I come out from work and one of them goes, we're going to learn how to hang glide. And, uh, and, he, and I said, I said, yeah, really? Great. Who's going to teach us that you are? <laughs> And I said, what? Said, yeah, you know how to fly. You know how to fly. So, so anyway, so, so these guys, they're just crazy. You know, like you imagine in the 70s, long hair, like just like really just, they were just wild, you know. I was on, I was, I had this big Ducati. I was this, this crazy motorbike rider. Anyway, um, so, so we, so we got the hang glider. They bought this hang glider in, this is in 1976. I was 77. They bought this hang glider from the bottom of someone's house. I've been hanging there for about 10 years. So this is a, like a 1960s hang glider. And I, we had no – It didn't even exist no then. It's like, a, it it's like a handkerchief oh, with, this, a, it was with like a the rock. Very, it was like such <laughs> early days. So anyway, so they so that we get the hang – they bought the hang glider. They put it right on the roof of the car, and we went to find a hill to use. And the only place that they could find that was that was sort of that we thought was suitable was very fortuitous. It was a tall, it was a place called like the Town Common. It was up behind the hospital, so it was it was behind the main hospital, right? Just some little rolling hills. Perfect. You know? If you crash, so you're, in the, you're I, in the sweet spot. You just go exactly. To the very for, very fortuitous. <laughs> it's so nice and close. You can actually see the hospital from where we were going to go. So so we get the we get the hang glider. And we carried across the paddock, do, 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 and we go because what I knew, like they had no idea what they were going to do. They, I just sort of must have fired up their imagination. So I knew you needed a hill, and you needed wind, right? And you knew, I knew you needed the wind in the up the face, and I knew you need some hill. What I didn't know is you need you needed a place to land. <laughs> I didn't know. I didn't realize that you needed. <laughs> I just, you got two things right. You just need a place no, to screw it. That's right. That's right. Wind and a hill. So. So we go up the top of the hill and we're setting the glider up and I'm and there's these bolts and nuts and everything and I'm just looking at it trying to work out how to put this thing together and put the pole in here and the pole there and I'm on top and and anyway so the wind was pretty strong from my memory it was quite strong and so obviously I was going to teach him how to fly and for me to teach him how to fly I had to fly myself so I've I've got in the heart. I've got in. It wasn't a so this guy wasn't a harness. It was like one of those little swing seats, yeah. a little like a little wooden seat on two. 
two chains, uh, like two ropes, and went up to the yeah, just went up to the. So You're flying a swing set. The, so I get the hang glider. <laughs> exactly, he does a swing set, and so I get the hang glider, and I'm in the seat, and I've got this, and I push the nose, and one of those old ones with a really long, like a, a really short nose angle, like a really you know so. And I stand on top of this hill and I push and I'm standing there looking down, looking down the front and I just push the, push the control frame out a little bit. If you know into that hang glide and you just got a frame, I push the a frame out and the thing, the wind got under the nose, went straight over back and just flicked me straight up upside down. And I'm hanging upside down in the hang glider on the top of this grassy hill. Right. (laughs) Okay guys, did you see that? That's how we do it. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Don't do it like that. So, (laughs) excuse me. So, so I ended up bending the king post, which is the post that pokes up top of the angle, right? It keeps the wings up from falling on the ground. And obviously, we couldn't fly it then because the king post was bent. So we, so you know, very dejectedly, we we packed the glider up and we carried it down the hill. And I suddenly I got a few little alarm bells going on in my head, and I'm thinking, you know, if I'd taken off. I had no idea what I was going to do. I I had no idea how to ha- fly a hang glider. I had no idea what, what what we. I just thought we were just going to take off and you just fly around the sky like a leaf in the breeze, and something would happen. You'd end up on the ground like magically, just a light on the ground, and off you go. You know, like so happy as Larry. And I thought that's not going to happen because I had no idea what I was going to do. So we're walking down the hill, and I'm thinking, uh, not a good idea, not a good idea. So um, because it was a Saturday afternoon. And they couldn't buy a new bit of aluminium. They were going to go to the aluminium place and just buy a little bit of aluminium and put on the top. And they couldn't do that because it was Saturday. So um, so they went the next week and got some aluminium. And they said, we're going to go back up again on Saturday. And I go, I've got to see a man about a dog. Um, sorry, I can't go with you. <laughs> so so anyway, this I just remember the one guy, he was just this crazy long blonde-headed dude, like really just like, you know, full-on really energetic sort of guy. And he and he's gone up the hill. I was like, I was off doing something. I, did, there, I wasn't going to see the carnage, you know. I didn't want to watch the carnage. So he's gone up, taken off, and flown straight into the side of the hill. Boom! Both both his arms. Oh. And so I go and see him in hospital. He's lying in hospital, like one of those classic, like a, 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 a like in a movie, you know, with his arms, <laughs> both his arms in plaster. What <laughs> in there? He can't do shit. Darwin Awards. And I went. Now that was. I think now that was a, that was a good decision on my behalf. So anyway, <laughs> better, that was my better first, luck. That, that was in we, 70, we have a saying: better a, lucky than stupid, se- right? <laughs> sorry, oh, sorry. Exactly. Better lucky than good is what I meant. Better lucky than good. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so I ended up. I so I just ended up giving that hang gliding thing away for a while because I thought that was pretty dangerous, and I I was you know I was traveling around a lot on my motorbike. So I, I end up right going riding around Australia on a motorbike, and and then I ended up living in um san francisco in 1988 uh, i'd moved i just i went over i actually went over to, to to canada to vancouver i bought a motorbike i rode up to top alaska and all the way back down to down to central america down to guatemala and i met this girl in 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 belize like you do from san francisco and i ended up like you do back in San Francisco, you know, for some reason. She was, she was, she was very cute. I can tell you. So, in love in San Francisco, and and so I was working. So I shouldn't say this, but I, I was working there. Don't worry, nobody um, listens. It's just you like, and I. I didn't. I, yeah, that's right. Just you. And I. So no. So this is this is the this is back in this is in the like the late eighties. So 
no green card, no, like just work, just doing my own job. Because by that stage, I was a sign writer. So I was painting signs, right? Um, on boats and buildings and cars and everything else. And, um, and so I, I was actually making pretty good money just working for myself around San Francisco. And one weekend, I was just sitting there in the little, in the little flat I had in San Francisco downtown. And my girlfriend was there and she said, and I was just talking about you know, the fact that I didn't have much to do and what I was going, what I was going to do and that sort of stuff. She said, "You always talk about hang gliding. Why don't you learn how to hang glide?" And I went, "That's a good idea." So I looked in the in the yellow pages and I see two hang gliding shops in San Francisco. One's called Chandel Hang Gliding and one was called Airtime Airtime Hang Gliding. And 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 so anyway, I remember I went down to um, to, to Airtime. And I had one this free info night, you know. I shouldn't. I'm not bagging these guys because this is 30 years ago. They're not more than 30 years ago. So, uh, but I went to this free info night, and I listened because I'm like I, I was an aircraft engineer before, and and I knew what flying was about. And and these guys are trying to tell me how they fly a hang glider and how aerodynamics work in a hang glider. And I went, that does not compute to me. That is not right. <laughs> so anyway, I just I walked out of the door. I walked out of the door and went home, and I went, and and because I I thought you know I thought. This you know, maybe I'm I've just have these they have dreams you know and I thought that hang glider pilots would be these real you know like like sky gods you know all fit and healthy and just run off hills in hang glide and that sort of stuff and I got this info night and there was a guy there and he was this like I shouldn't I I shouldn't be judgmental but he didn't look like a sky <laughs> god and he was the owner of the business and it, and I just went. I went, no, my dreams are just completely obliterated. <laughs> so I walked out there and I went, no, it doesn't work. So anyway, I the, the next weekend I thought, I've got to learn a hang glide. I've really got to. So I just went down to Shandell hang glide down at Pacifica at the bottom of San Francisco, at the bottom of Wet's Lake there. And um, and I walked in the door and um, I'm trying to, try to remember his name. There's a guy that used to work there, redheaded, like he was, this guy was, he was, he was addicted to, to Mountain Dew. <laughs> he was young Mountain Dew this drink. He was like it was like the early it was like the early early version of Red Bull, yes. right? And this guy he's and, and he's it was a Saturday afternoon and this guy was sitting he was wired. This guy he was I'm trying to remember his name, but anyway, he was wired and he was so so intense. But I walked in there and I said, Teach me how to fly, I put the money on the table and said, I don't care how good you are, you can't be any worse than the other guys. You just teach me how to fly. So so anyway. So I ended up. So, so the young fellow taught me. So this guy that was uh, he was working out. Wish I could remember his name because he was a nice. He was a really nice guy. But the guy who taught me his name was Andy Whitehill. Now Andy may be listening, but I don't think he flies hang gliders anymore. But he was a like he this Andy was just as intense as this other guy. <laughs> but he was younger, long hair, like a hippie sort of dude. You know, like full on, full on, and. um Addicted to, to everything, including sushi. He was it, it, oh. Andy was addicted to sushi. Right? So he was a bit, he was about I don't know. It must have been it must have been the wasabi up his nose that he really <laughs> like that something doesn't do with his nose. <laughs> anyway, so so Andy Andy and I struck up a really good rapport. We were, we were like really and and I remember so I was we went out for the first day to learn how to hang glide, and I walked up that we walked up the hill. And we set the hang glider up like this, right? Just and put all the you know all the battens and everything in it, and got it all going. And I remember I ran down the hill. I started running down the hill, and the glider lifted me off the off the ground. And 
it was like a game changer. It was completely like I never felt anything as free. You know? mm. And like all the time I'd spend in airplanes and everything else, this was suddenly like the door opened and I went, this is the most amazing thing in the world. Mm. Right? It was, it, it almost, it almost still makes it, it it's so emotional that, that just, this is like 33 years ago. And it's still, I can still exactly remember what it felt like when my feet left the ground and I floated down the hill and this hang glider and landed okay. I just pulled the, pushed the bar and, and I was on the ground. And um, it was quite amazing that, um, so when I, um, I remember turning up on the first, when I turned up on the first day of the training hill, I looked up and there was this guy flying across, he must have launched off the top of the training hill, right? And he's flying, do, 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 he's coming down, he landed. Turned out that, by within a year and a half, I ended up teaching him how to fly because I, it's one that, you know, when you, you, just you, it out. you get into a, are you, when you get into a sport or in something and you go, this is where I was meant to be. I just, I was, I was meant to be here. Mm. And it was like, I, everything I did seemed to work. Everything, even, but, you know, and, and Andy taught me a lot. Like he was incredibly good as an, as a, he was very safety conscious, even though he was, cra- he was an absolute crazy guy. He was incredibly safety conscious, really, really, really not, you know, talking, you have to take him the right way. But if you look at what he was trying to te- teach you and why he was trying to teach you certain things, it worked so, so well, you know. So anyway, within a year and a half of learning to fly hang gliders, I was already a basic instructor for, for Yushka. Right, so I was a basic hang gliding instructor. I become, I took up my hang gliding instructor's rating, and I was teaching people just what they used to call basic, which is just launch and landing. I wasn't allowed to teach them high glides, just launch and landing for Yushka. And are you and at this time? Anyway, are you, are you Roman? Are you going to the Owens? Are you flying XC? Or are you just a Pacific? Okay, guy? yeah. So, so I, yeah. So, <laughs> so interestingly, I, um, Andy. Love flying XC. Like he was an he was an XC junkie, and um, and so my first bit of flying, my first XC was from a place. Well, my so really, for, I don't know how much time we got here, but yeah, I, forever. <laughs> so <laughs> anyway, anyway, so so Andy decides we're going to go up to Elk, a place called Elk Mountain, which is just out the back of San, um, sort of it's, it's northwest of San Francisco uh, from memory. Sort of on the way to west to to um on the way to Lakeview. Uh, northeast, like northeast, on the border between. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. North. Yeah. North. Yep. Yeah. Northeast. Elk Mountain. It's up near. There's also a mountain called Hull Mountain. So Hulk and yep. Elk. Elk were there. Yep. Anyway, we go to Elk Mountain. Right. It was the end of winter. Just the end of winter. So the snow's all melting. But so uh, Andy didn't have a four wheel drive. He had this combi. It was a V Dub combi, right? And um. And so we drove up the Tard Road up from the bomb out, which is a riverbed, and we're driving up, and we get to the turf, to the we turn off the dirt road, and of course now it's covered in snow because it's in, in, just in the winter. So Andy goes, well, we can't get the combi up here, so we're going to have to carry the hang gliders up, and, and the hang glider I'd end up buying from from Andy was the exact hang glider, not not the same copy, but it was the exact hang glider. That um, Mark Newland had won the U.S. Nationals on the year before, mm. right? Or the two years, so maybe two years before. So it was it was a a, a Moyes GTO a, G, a GTR world beater, okay. right? 
Um, uh, yeah. And it was the heaviest, biggest monster of a glider, but it looked so good. And when Andy had given me the option, he said, you can buy this training glider or you can buy this glider. Of course, what am I going to say? I'm going to, I'm going to like that, that training guy, like single surface shit. I'm going for this one here. It's got, it's got like 30, 30, 36 batons in it. It's got everything. It's like, mate, it, it was so, it was so wild. I want the Ferrari. Thought, no, that's my, that's, that's my glider. That's, that's my glider. I don't care how hard it is to fly. I'm going to learn how to fly this thing. So anyway, we're going to carry these gliders about a, well, maybe about a mile up this dirt track. In the snow, and so myself and the, and the mate who the one that flew it had flown over the top of my head on the very first day. Um, he was still not a he was he was at that stage about the same equivalent level as me because it was, this was this was only uh, probably a year after or yeah maybe no more than a year be three months after I started I already had this like the world the 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 guy that won the U.S. Nationals it was just I was just I was jumping way too far ahead for myself. Like I, if I knew, like there's, there's no way now I'd let any of my students do anything like that at all. But, but I was like, I knew where I was going. I wanted to be there like straight away. So, so we got these hang glides. We came up through the snow. We get onto this launch, and the launch is um is sort of like because it was fa- it faced southwest. It was. We didn't have any snow, but all the track up there was all full of snow, you know. So we're carrying these guys up, and these guys are so heavy. We get the launch, and we're setting it up, but the wind was still over the back, and it's over the back, over the back, lightly cross, over the back, lightly cross. Now this is my first high glide, my first ever high glide on a hang glider. All my other glides have been off of the training hill. So Andy decided to take me to Elk Mountain, which is probably from memory about, I uh, was probably about two thousand feet top to bottom, and into this into this riverbed, you know. And so, um, so I'm standing on the launch. Now I don't know. You, you don't know, even any hang gliding? No, no, no. So with okay. So so with hang gliders, what happens is that the glide that when the they have a thing called a, a VG, which is a thing or in Australia variable billow. So it's a, it's a when they say pulling rope on, you pull this rope on the base bar, and what it does, it tightens the wing really, really tight. And makes the the side wires that go from the bottom of the base bar up to the wings really tight. So the the whole wing is very very rigid, and you do that when you when you want to do a really long fast glide, and and it's it, the, it makes the, the glide much more efficient. Speed but it, bar basically. Uh, yes, but what it does, and yeah, it, so with a speed bar, speed bars on, on paragliders make guys more yeah certainly make them more. Um, make them go faster they don't necessarily make them go more efficiently but they mm. certainly make them go faster and more more prone to getting collapsed what happens with a hang glider it doesn't make them more liable to get a, a tuck or anything what it makes them really really hard to control to maneuver mm. right so it tightens them up really tight so anyway if you don't have the vg pulled on the sidewires are loose so what happens is the the wings will flop. One wing will flop down to the – so the right wing will flop down to the left wing, the sideways goes tight, and then the left wing will flop down to the right one. And just this flopping business side to side, which is really disconcerting. But as soon as you take off and the wings get lifted by the airflow, by your weight, then the, the things, thing doesn't have that flopping business, right? Mm. So – but if you pull this VG on, on launch, it would tighten it right up. You wouldn't have the flopping stuff. But what it, what it does, it makes the glider – 
incredibly hard to take. Like it, it increases the store speed. It, it increases the like the the launch speed. Everything gets really, really tight, and you say you don't want to launch. So you got to put up with this flopping business mm-hmm. of the glider when you're standing on launch. So anyway, I've got this really heavy glider. I've popped it up on my shoulders, and I'm standing there waiting for the wind to come right, you know. And Andy's saying, oh, it, it's going to come, it's going to come, it's going to come. So I'm standing there because I didn't want to have to pick it up and then run off the hill. So I wanted to get let stable, you know, with his wings going flop. And so when they when the wings flop, they would move. If you held the base bar totally still, each wing, if the wing dropped, if the right wing dropped and left wing went up or the left wing went down the right wing went up, the, the tips would probably move at least a, a foot. That's how far, that's how much, that's how much, on the wingtips are moving up and down. Like, so there's this hard, rigid base bar you're holding, but these wings are flopping from side to side. And it's really, it's really unnerving for, for new pilots carrying a big, heavy glider to have this flopping business. And then when you run off, you've got to make sure it all goes right as you run on down. So anyway, I'm standing on launch and I'm looking down and it's nice open run down the front of the hill. But on the right hand side, on the right hand side is a big, tall pine tree. Yeah, big tall pine tree with the tip of the top of the pine tree is about is about level with my with my eyesight a little bit maybe a little bit lower okay. right a little bit lower down there yeah I know maybe it's probably if I took a line out it's probably so the pine tree is probably about I don't know maybe maybe thirty maybe uh, maybe a hundred yards down the hill and fairly tall so it's a run big tall pine tree right? and I ended up so I'm standing there. And I'm looking straight ahead, but looking at the pine tree. Looking ahead, looking at the pine tree, like this, you know, like you do when you. <laughs> and I'm looking at the pine. And then it's amazing. It's amazing when I when Andy finally said, "Go," I wasn't, you know, like I was. He just said, "It's on, go." So I started running. You know that pine tree moved straight across in front of me. I don't know how it did it. The pine tree, it just the pine tree got legs and went straight out in front of me like this. And I'm just going. Straight for this because you know one of the things with the hang glider, the one thing you don't want to do in a hang glider is run off and push the bar out because that doesn't stall. It will stall the wing, right? Yeah. So you got to pull speed, speed on. So you pull the base bar in as you run down the hill, right? So I'm running down the hill, pulling the base bar in, and this bloody tree has come straight across in front of me, right? Straight, and I'm going straight for the tree, straight for the tree, and I go, holy shit! I just, I went, ah, I, I just let go of the control. I let go of the base bar, everything. I just let everything go. I went, Holy shit, I'm in the tree. I like, I let off. And, and with a hang glider, if you pull, it's really easy to pull the bar in and go really fast. As soon as you let it out, it goes to trim and it'll go straight out. And the glider went, wee, just missed the top of the tree like this over the top. And then it does this big dive over the top of the tree and just comes out the other side. I, I disappear from view from where Andy So He's looking across, sees me going sort of towards the tree. And he just goes, I close his eyes. And then suddenly I'm just disappeared because he can't see me behind the tree. But I'm just going, and I, and I'm flying down towards the landing field, going, oh, oh, oh! I was so, I was so scared. I just pulled the bar, and it's like flames coming on the back of the hang glider. I'm flying down towards <laughs> the valley, just screaming down. Like, oh, I don't want to do this shit anymore. This is crazy. So Afterburners, anyway, afterburners. Oh, and I got to the bottom. I got to the bottom. I ended up doing it. I, I, I did a landing where I dropped the nose as I, I come in because I skidded along the gravel. I was just so, so wide and nervous from what had happened with the tree. <laughs> Then it turns out that 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 Ofa, this guy I've named Ofa Brewers, he was a he ended up being a really good mate of mine. The guy that would, that I'd seen him fly up top of my, my head when on the first day of the training, and he was he and I'd carried the hang gliders up. He took off and went straight back and land and crashed into the side of the hill in some trees. 
So I spent all the afternoon, so all the afternoon trying to get him out of the trees way down the front of Elk Mountain, you know? So, so anyway. Uh, so your, anyways, your, so your, was, your first trip my, to go XC was super successful. It, first, it, was, it, was, it was just, first, that was the first hog ride. So anyway, <laughs> so then, so then we go, we go to, to Lakeview. So most people know about Lakeview. Yeah. It's a pretty, pretty amazing place. It's amazing. It's, it's very famous for the, um, for the glass off they have there. And, we so we went um, up. There's some hill. Some hill was about twenty miles to the south of Lakeview, and um, I'm trying to remember the name. I don't think they, I don't think they fly there anymore. Um, they don't fly Lakeview at all anymore. But anyway, we, we went up there on that. Don't uh, they? Yeah, I mean, I haven't uh-huh. heard of anybody flying there in ages. They used to have comps out there all the time and stuff. And we've been trying yeah. to get a comp organized there forever. But you know, that's where we ended that Sierra trip I did back in 2012 with Antoine Laurens and Nick yeah. Grace. And so we ended in in Lake or Lakeview, and it just looks Lakeview. amazing. I don't know why nothing's happening. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah, the, the the glass off the glass off there is like mind blowing. Mm-hmm. I can tell you a bit more about the glass off there. A, a few things that happened in that glass off, but it is just because you've because you, you've got Mount Shasta up the back there, and you've got like it's is it Mount Shasta up the back of of the valley there from Lakeview, I think. Yeah, anyway, it's right, it's right. a big it, it's a big wide big wide valley that produces amazing glass off. So anyway, we went up to this hill. We were going to, and this was going to be my first XC flight, right? First time I was going to try and thermal and fly somewhere. So I was going to fly from that hill to Lakeview. Anyway, I took off. I'm on, I'm on this glider. I can tell you that when you pull the VG on, it it's so hard to control. But but if you're trying to get the max glide out of the thing, you pull the VG on. So anyway, I'm coming down towards Lakeview, the township, and um, and I'm getting really, really low, to, so low. And I was so focused, like, you know, you get so focused on just, like, what you're trying to achieve, which is, yeah, you know, get, get to your goal, yeah. but but you don't have any idea how if you really lose sight of how high you are, where you are, where your landing fields are, everything. So anyway, I almost landed on the roof of the supermarket. <laughs> I was so low, like I just 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 missed the roof of the supermarket <laughs> over the car park, and there was this this like a some sort of farm field on the other side of the supermarket <laughs> car park, and as I came in. As I came into the landing, I realized that VG was still on the glider. It was full on. And this glider was, was notorious for being almost uncontrollable when you had the VG on. And I came in for the landing and it was, and because I then realized that the VG was still on because a big long rope tagging behind me, but I was too low to even let it off. And as I came in, I got this, it must have been a dusty coming through the paddock and I got picked up. Whoosh, Way up in, and just slammed like wingtip straight into the into the ground on the like, side. So, so hard, and it, on the side on the Ooh, side. So that just went side slipped. So I must have gone. I must have gone up maybe I don't know maybe ten meters up in this dusty, and it just slammed into the ground on the wingtip right. And the glider was. Just, I broke the wing straight off the glider. Just tore the, the tip of the sail right off the wing. Like it. The wing broke about maybe two, uh, maybe uh, two meters in from the wingtip. Just tore the wing right off. Oh. Just took the took the whole oh, wing your right baby. off. So any, anyway, so my beautiful glider was trashed, and so any anyway, I ended up buying a new a new hang glider, which was a really really difficult hang glider to fly. But I ended up buying this new glider. I left this glider sitting in 
Andy's shop just as a pile of mess in the corner with the intention that one day I might try and put it back together, fix it up, yeah. get it, get it together. Meaning that I have to actually sew the sail back together. I have to put all new new tubes and everything else. But it just lay there for ages. So anyway, I had this pa- I had this passion for teaching people how to do things. Right? I've done. I've taught my, both my parents are teachers. My big my elder brother's a teacher. Like we have this teaching, you know, DNA thing. You know. So anyway, I was playing around, sort of, sort of mucking around with hang gliders, and and I think Andy saw that I was relatively skilled. So he says, "Why don't you become a basic instructor?" Hang gliding instructor. I went, yeah, okay, okay. So I, I thought that was a pretty cool thing to be offered. A, you know, a, and he said, I, you can work for me, and you can do the all the weekend launch and landing stuff down the beach down at Big Sur because we there's a we had a had a, a, a beach down you have to go down past um, past uh, San Jose and you go sort of down down the coast there and um, there was some beach down there that we used to we used to teach on. So I'd, I'd drive down there and the and the, on you know on the weekends. In the morning, and I'd um, I'd teach hang gliding and, and come back. And anyway, Andy had this is back. This is in about 90, 1990, I suppose. I know I lose track of, of, of years and dates and this sort of stuff. But not long after I'd started teaching hang gliding, I was like I was a hang glider pilot, and I was obsessed with hang gliding. It was the most beautiful thing to do in the world. Like it was it, it, it hang gliding is actually an amazing thing. If you ever get a chance to fly oh, one, I know. Look, they're beautiful things to fly. The prone thing is very and, compelling. And, you know? Oh this, they're beautiful. And and also so um in this time I'd also flown the I I'd, I'd I'd gone and flown the Owens, I'd flown to Telluride, I'd flown at um I'd flown at Point of the Mountain. I'd flown um, uh, a lot of a lot of places. All west, all west coast, were you, US were stuff. You, were, you start, were you getting into comps at this point and that kind of thing? Like the yeah, okay. yeah. I was finding comps. Okay. Yeah, I was finding comps. I was, I was, I flew, um, I flew in the. They had a big comp in the Owens. They had a big comp in um, uh, the manufacturers' league meet at um, um, at Telluride. Uh, also, they had one at Di- a place called Dinosaur. I flew there at Dinosaur, mm. um, which is right on. I think Dinosaur's on the border of Utah, yeah. and yeah, and um, uh, yeah. So they there's a big, big comp they had there, um, and there was was another another place. Oh, so many different places there. But we did a bit of flying, a fair bit of flying around um, around um, Salt Lake City as well. Anyway, um, so. Andy came to me one day and he, he, he so Andy went over to he went on a holiday with his girlfriend to Europe, right? And um, and he came back and he said, you know, he said there's no hang gliders there anymore because they're all paragliders. And what had happened? I'd seen like people had been playing around with paragliding in, in San Francisco. They weren't allowed to fly at Fort Funston. Um, so Funston is a hang glider site. That's you do not fly paraglides. Funston is like it's yeah. so it's so rigid there. So, and I used to fly, I was flying the hang glider fronts and all the time. And people used to be launching from Westlake down from the, what they call the dumps, which is just down, uh, if you go south from, from Funston, you, you go down there and, and you got these little dunes, that sort of stuff. Anyway, um, the paraglides would fly there and people, were, they were always getting taken away in ambulances. <laughs> and they were going like, people were crashing all that stuff and they take off. From the, from the they take off from the top of 
you know, like Angler will take on front and then cruise around. You get in what they call the sheer convergence, and you'd be doing you're way up there cruising around. And paragliders would take off and go boom straight to the straight to the beach, boom straight to the beach. You know, they just and if and if they made the beach without crashing and hurting themselves, that's amazing. But they were just so like big, massive, like six cell gliders. You know, they're just so old, just shitbox things. You know, so anyway, they were they were just a joke. They were just a, they were they were a joke. So. Anyway, but Andy goes to Europe and he comes back and he says, he says, there's no no hang gliders in there. There's just paragliders everywhere. He said, We've got to teach paragliding. And I said, find someone else. He said, No, no. He said, I want you to learn to paraglide so you can teach paragliding. I said, No, buddy, I'm a hang gliding pilot and I'm a hang gliding instructor, and that's me. I'm not teaching those things out there. See, they're dangerous, they're stupid, they have no performance, and they all look uh, <laughs> And they're all fluoro. <laughs> I'm, I'm not flying one of those things. No. And so anyway, he goes, so he says, okay. So about a week later, he comes back and he says, he says, he says, I want you to learn to fly a paraglider so you can teach because I, I, we, need to, we, need to, we need to broaden the scope of the shop. We need to teach paraglider because it was, it was a Shandell hang glide. You know? And, and um, the two guys uh, – Actually, I, I think Jeff might even be, still be in the business of paragliding. Um, but Jeff, I remember that airtime hang gliding, which was the opposition to Shandell, which is where I first went to try and learn to hang glide, was owned by two guys, Jeff and Kelly. Kelly actually killed himself on the cliffs in front of Sam, in front of Funston on the on a paraglide. Mm. Interestingly. Interestingly, he didn't die crashing his crashing the paraglide. What he did is he landed, slope landed, because he was thinking out, he didn't want to go in the ocean, slope landed. He was walking along the edge of the cliff, slipped and hit his head on a rock and killed him. Oh, my God. How was that? How how unlucky was that? Anyway, but they were getting in, that shop was getting into teaching paragliding, and and Andy goes, we've got to teach paragliding. I want you to learn to paraglide. I said, no. I said, no, you can find someone else to teach paragliding. No, I'm not going to do it. (laughs) So eventually, eventually he came back to me like about three weeks later. He says, he said, okay, if you don't learn a paraglide, I don't want you working for me anymore because I need someone who can paraglide as well as hang glide. And I go, I, because I was so, I was so obsessed with hang glide. Yeah. And it was such a beautiful thing. And I was meeting some really cool people, teaching, teaching people how to fly. And it was just, you know, I was flying, uh, you know, I, like, I, I really, really wanted to stay in the business of, of hang gliding. And if that meant I had to learn to paraglide, then okay, I'll do it. So anyway, are you still at this point? Um, are you still doing signs and all that? Or are you just making your living from instructing? I am still doing signs. I'm still doing okay. signs. Yeah, I'm still. So what I'd be doing, I'd be doing is I'd be down. Mostly, I started sort of the the most things I was painting were, were transom of, yacht, of boats, yep. right? And so down on the in in the San Francisco Bay, yep. and I'd be I'd be sitting there on the on the boat, you know, painting away. I look up and I'd see the sky start looking good and I'm going, see, I've got to, I've just washed my brushes out and off I'd go, you know. So working for yourself, I could do that stuff. So I spent a lot of time. I was I was so teaching on the weekends, I was flying anytime it was flyable and I would I was making some the making money painting signs if I wasn't flying. And would you say so that was that you know would you say your jam back then? So this is I, I'm guessing it's like 92, 93, is that about right? Yeah, so, yeah, no, yeah, 91, 91. 90, it would have been the early nineties. Yeah, yeah, 90, yeah, 91. Probably, yeah. And would you yeah. say your jam yeah. back then was 
was teaching? Was it XC? Was it acro? Was it what? What, what was your? No, I, I my um, it was because I was still so new to the sport. It was it was like a whole learning adventure. Mm. Like it was, I was still learning so much. Like I was, you know, I I idolized people like Larry Tudor, like um, um Tim Lee, um, who else? There was the guy I was just talking about, uh, Eric Beckman, who was the originator. He he was the, the main test pilot for the Swift. Yeah, the green. The the, green you know, the, the, he wrote the, the book, right? Oh, this book's amazing. Yeah, it's yeah, so funny. Yeah. Yeah. And so there was all these all these pilots who were just the legends of hang gliding back in those days. And I was just trying to I was uh, you know, like there was so many people and so many things to do. That I just I just wanted to get into everything, right? So anyway, I was um, so so um, so Andy goes. I find so I finally capitulated, and I go, okay, I'll learn how to paraglide if that's going to keep me the job, right? So um, so because I probably wasn't getting paid a lot of money by Andy. I was just, I, I, you know, but I was, it was in it for the love, which is what you, most people were doing back in those days. It was more the a love thing, you know? So anyway, so Andy goes, okay, so this is, this is sort of like a funny thing. So Andy goes, okay, I'll teach you how to paraglide. I said, good. Okay. So we said, because the, the shop at Pacifica there was about probably a mile and a half from the, um, from Westlake, from from the dumps, right, well, Westlake. There. He says, "What we'll do is we'll take the car down to down to the dumps. I'll show you a few things, and then I'll have to come home because I got to go, go, go come back to the shop to do some to 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 do some more work, and I'll leave you there, right, with the paraglider." Mm-hmm. So, so I take we take the two cars. He jumped his car. I jump in my car. Now, normally when we go. When I go hang gliding teaching, I spend like a half an hour loading hang gliders on the roof of the car, loading hearts in the back of the car, tying everything on, putting all the radios, harnesses, the wheels, everything, like this. So we're going to go down to Westlake and have a go at this paraglider thing. So Andy gets this little bag, a little like a little backpack, throws it on his back, puts a helmet in the top, and we and we just walk to the car, hop in the car, and then we go and we park, and we just a little bag out of the car, and we walk down the beach. Like, that's it. There's a, it's a t- tiny little bag. And I went, well, this is – that That just – that confirms me it's a joke. You know, like, because an aeroplane's going to be big. Like, an aeroplane's going to be big. You don't just, like, have a little bag. You can't fly a bag. So, anyway, so we, we go we, – we get to the top of the, of the, gra- of the sort of sandy, grassy slope, and, and like, normally when I get to teach in the paraglide and hang gliders, you'd spend another like like at least an hour setting all the hang gliders up, pulling them out, opening up, battens in here, blah, 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 blah. He gets his bag out of the car. He puts it on the ground, opens up like a minute and a half. He's got the thing open. He's in the harness. He runs down the hill. And he says, there you go. And he, so he shows me. So this is the old the old inflation technique. It's a bit of breeze. This is like an afternoon. He grabs the two front. He's, so he's got the you know doing reverse inflation he's got the right hand right hand the, to the brake that goes to the to the right side which is when you fly on the left side a left hand so so not cross brakes so yeah. brakes that are you know right right left left so he, he inflate the glider bring it up over his head let go of the brakes turn around grab the brakes again and run down the hill he said that's how you do it 
And so he does, he does it twice for me. And he walk, he comes up, he says, takes out the he gets out of the harness, and he goes, have a go. I said, that looks pretty easy. So I have a little go, get the canopy up, turn around, run down the hill. I, and I just, I mean, left the ground. Just by this, you know, by this stage, I was a pretty experienced hang glider pilot. I'd, you know, at that, by that stage, I'd flown the Owens, I'd flown all through, you know, Telluride, that sort of stuff. So I sort of, I was pretty comfortable flying. But this thing was just a just a joke. It was like I didn't hardly even left the grass. I was just running down the side of the hill. But I did one run. Come back. He said that looks good. I'll see you later. <laughs> so he turns around, and walks off to his car, and and just leaves me with a glider, with a power glider. He's given me like five minutes of instruction, and he says, "See you, see you back at the shop when you're finished." So, <laughs> what you mean? That's not how you do so, it now. <laughs> No, no. <laughs> Here you go. Here's your P2. Nice job. That's right. Yeah. Just give me, just, just, just load my, load my wallet up, and you can. I'll just give you the lights up. You go. Just do it. Just do it. So, so anyway, within I reckon within half an hour, I've got the glider in a complete mess. I've walked through the lines. I've got the thing over my head. I've just got it. It's complete shambles, right? I've got. It looks like one of those abstract sculptures, you know, like just like all this shit and lines everywhere. I have no idea. No idea what to do. So, and I'm, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, I'm just trying to think why I did this. I think it was one of those early, like I think um, ITV used to make them where the glider and the harness were one unit. Hmm. So they weren't, you, you couldn't disconnect the glider from the harness. The, the, the risers were part of the harness because what they used to have back in the old days, they had the thing called a speed seat. You've ever seen the speed seat? Oh. So speed seat, it was where you had on the harness. So nowadays you have three risers come to a carabiner, like you know here. But these three risers came to the straight down to the bottom of the seat. So the front uh, riser went to the front of the seat, the that, back riser, yeah. and exactly. So when you want to go fast, you'd lean forward, <laughs> and when you want to go slower, you lean lean back. That's that's the trim of the glider, right? And I think, and I think this was one because I remember that it was such a mess, and I couldn't figure out how to take the harness off the glider, and I couldn't figure out how to get the harness through the lines. Yeah, obviously now it would be much easier if I knew now what I know, I knew then what I know now. But so I started undoing the quick links between the between the rise and the lines. I started undoing all the quick links like this, and then I got to this mess where I had these lines everywhere, and I went, oh, "This is not, this is not working." So I just I stuffed the glider in the little bag, like this, and put the harness on top of it, and I put it on my back. And I'm walking back like the the you know probably hundred meters back to the car, and I'm and and I got to think and I thought you know one thing this isn't which I thought it was going to be is easy. I thought it was going to be really easy, and so I went and and like you know in my life I'm sort of attracted to difficult difficult things and like I'm, I tend to tend to like having challenges that that aren't just the easy, so. I thought this is pretty interesting. It's 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 not as easy as I thought, and because I was a, I'd end up in San Francisco, as a at, having ridden all around North America on a motorbike. I only had a mo- like I was more a motorbike rider than a car driver, and I thought, hey, I could put this on the back of a motorbike. So I thought there may be something in this, uh, and Andy really wants to learn how to fly. So yeah, okay, I'll I might have a go. So I went and bought myself my first. Paraglider was a Willswing AT125. Now, if you if you want to do a search on that one, it was actually a, it was Wills. So Willswing were a were a hang glider. They still are a hang glider manufacturer in, in in California, and they 
license they they built um uh pro design under license so there was a, the at was like a pro it was a equivalent of a pro design something or other and they were absolute shit box but they were still you know that it and so i bought this thing and what i would do is when i went to teach hang on in the down at down the coast i'd throw the paragon in the back and on the way back home when i sent all the students off and they all went home I would just there was a couple of beaches down there, and I'd just play around the beaches with the paraglider. And so, my my official learning my official learning experience in a paraglider was five minutes of instruction from Andy Whitehill at the dumps in nineteen ninety one. That was it, and the rest of it was in the, we we taught it we called it suck it suck it and see. So it's just like I would just end up. Like I would go, no, that didn't work. Like I get dragged over hills, I get blown over so many hills. I was just like thrown over the back of, 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 of like. Lucky I didn't hurt myself, but I like I got caught out because I was so used to the hang glider. Where hang glider is a whole different kettle of fish. You know? Like it's you can can you don't you don't have, you're not inflating the canopy. So you've got this wing that does produce no drag when you walk to launch. You're not going to get dragged backwards by this by inflation of the wing. You just you can keep it in really good control and just take off and. um and so I kept thinking the paragon was sort of like that, and I would t- try and take off in really strong winds and, and almost get, you know, I'd get dragged over hills and through bushes and everything like that. <laughs> but I kept, but so what happened is I, I kept watching, you know, there were people with, with, that were developing really good um, techniques, that techniques because paraglides were, were developing pretty fast, right? And people were, there were some really amazingly good European pilots who were developing skills based on the new style of gliders. And I would just watch these people and see, you know, that that's a really good looking technique. That does technique doesn't look very good. That that one's sort of okay. We could probably get that one to modify a bit. So I ended up just just getting um just adopting heaps of different techniques from different people. And that's the way I learned. It wasn't I didn't and so probably to my you know, I, I see it now as to, to my benefit was that I wasn't taught how to fly, and so I wasn't indoctrinated in saying this is the way you do it. Mm. Like, it's because if you go to school now, yeah. yeah, a lot of schools, yeah, it's like open, like open source, open source learning the paraglide. So, yeah. but you know, you go to school, even like now, when when people come to me, I go, this is the way you do it because I've been doing it long enough, and I sort of know what works and what doesn't work. So we do it like this, uh, but but. When I and, and so if anyone learns with me, they tend to have my style. Yeah, that's they and, and, and people when when people learn with me, they sort of I've got some very characteristic sort of very identifiable ways that people do things that they learn with me, and so people can actually see that someone's learned with me anywhere around Australia. They go, oh, I learned with Phil Hostet because you just got that way of doing something. Um, and but I didn't have that i didn't have the benefit of that because no one really knew what they were doing back in the early 90s no one really knew what they were doing in paraglides anyway yeah. so i was just you know it was all it was, it was really it was a suck it and see and try and work out whether this worked and that didn't work and you know you just gotta be lucky that ones that didn't work didn't kill you and the ones that did work you know you gave you a really good time so you know so <laughs> when did you go so back that's, to- so so okay. that was the long that's the long story about the fact that i that i was actually forced to learn to fly paraglides and I've been running a, a my only form of, of 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 income for the last twenty five years has been teaching paraglide. Really? I've only taught that's yeah that's my only form of income is teaching paraglide. Wow! So I've gone from not wanting to fly paraglides at all 
to being absolutely obsessed with paragliding and you know like and nowadays i do a lot of a lot of different stuff in paragliding you know like i'm you know i don't think the one thing i don't do a lot of in paragliding is um is acro i'm not a i'm not a real high g person i don't i do you know i like to do pretty big wing overs that sort of stuff but and loop my little mini wing and that sort of stuff but i don't i don't I'm not into doing helicos or you know or misty flips or you know in, infinities and that sort of stuff. I just I'm just not that kind of person. I like to keep the wing above my head rather than underneath it. That's, <laughs> what do you think? Interesting when when you talked about yeah when you talked about um when I was in hang glide and whether I was whether I went trying to whether I what sort of um, discipline I was sort of heading towards. It was mostly mostly um, XC yeah. and comp flying. Um, but I did. I, I actually became very good friends with um, John Heine. Ah. Very, very good friends with John Heine. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, so a few. There was. There's a few. Few stories. I, I won't. I won't talk on this podcast about that because John's probably dissonant. But um, but have you ever? You would have. You would have interviewed John Heine at some no, stage. With I you? I, don't know if you've ever, I will, of course. But so, uh, John Heine was. He's. Time. He was by far the. Him and Mitch, him and Mitch were the two top acro pilots in hang glide. Yeah, they, they were the, they were the top aerobatic hang glide pilots. John, John and Mitch were like vying all the time for the for the number one slot, and um, and so I became I I wasn't I, I never I never really met Mitch McAleer. Although it's interesting, one time when we did we had the manufacturers league meet, right? I, I, uh, I don't know if I should keep talking yeah, because I'm just going to waste up all your time. <laughs> so, so we went. So we had the. This is back in the hang gliding days. We had the manufacturers league meet in um, in Telluride, right? Or just it was a fly in. I think I don't. It might not have been the manufacturer league meet. This would be something fly in there, right? And you, you've flown Telluride? No, I been have, I've been so, there a bunch. I've never flown it. Incredibly. Okay, so so there's. So in in Telluride, there's there's the main launch, which is up at twelve thousand feet. I think the town's at ten thousand feet. So it's pretty uh, you're high up, you air thin air, that sort of stuff. And um, most people who fly there um, will end up hypoxic to some some degree because you know most people just rock up to to Telluride and just don't acclimatize and straight up to up to eighteen thousand feet and whatever. And so in Telluride, they've got two. Landing fields, right? Two two main landing fields. They've got the 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 leisure LZ, which is a little a big cow field on the outside of town, and they've got the seizure LZ, which is a baseball diamond in the middle of town, right? Leisure right and seizure in the middle of this leisure and seizure <laughs> LZ. So anyway, I went to this thing. This is, must have been when I was. I only mean I think I've been flying for nine months. Like nine, not even a year, and I'd gone to this thing with my, with my GTO world GT, GTR world beater hang glider thing. You know, I thought I was a legend, but I was still only a, I was only an intermediate hang glider pilot, right? And I rock up there, and they give us the run. You know, they they read the ride act, right? So you saying, you got to, you know, you can't do this, you can't do that, because you know it's a it's a pretty it's a pretty big place, you yeah. know, like you're you're Terrorist, you're in the middle yeah. of the Rockies, you know, it's it's really it's big strong thermals, that sort of stuff. They say, so for you, dude, as you're a known your new pilot, you can't fly you gotta launch before ten o'clock, right? And you can't land in the seizure L Z. And I went, So you so that's what you think. <laughs> <laughs> that's what you that's Says what you, you. Think. <laughs> So 
So, so the first thing I decided to do is I was gonna I was gonna fly in the middle of the day. No, no, no drama about that. I was gonna I was gonna go up there and I was gonna take off right before the the cutoff time and I was gonna stay up as long as I could. Right. So, anyway, I've taken off and I I just remember this actually classic thing. I've gone up there and I was actually on top of the hill and there's myself and a few other people said no, and Mitch McAlee was up there, right? And we sort of took off together and we're flying around and just cruising around. And this is the time where you wish you had back in that, you know, like never had GoPro, didn't have anything back in those days. But the time you wish you had a GoPro, because I'm, so I'm thamming up above Telluride, above the, above the top of the mountain. And I'm probably at about 16 grand or something like that. And I'm looking around trying to think, now Mitch was in the same ganger with me, where, where, you know, in the same family. Where is he? Where is he? Where is he? I looked to the side to you know just you can imagine in your hang glide looking to the looking over to the to the east and you got the rocky mountains and everything, and here comes Mitch. Mitch, he's done this loop and he's right beside me upside down, like right. He's in, in the, on the top part of a loop. He's straight up like I'm hanging on trying to slam like this, and Mitch has done this big dive and he's come out the top and he's straight upside down right beside me. And if only it had a camera, it was the most amazing shot of the rocky mountains and Mitch making it upside down the hang glider, like right there. And I went, what an amazing, amazing place to be. You know, so anyway. What a legend, so too. I mean, the, the stories the, about what he the, would do in those kind of situations are uh, epic. Oh, just he's just he's actually crazy. I, I, so anyway, um, towards the end of the – we're getting towards the end of the stay there at Telluride, and um, and I'd been – like, I'm, I kept saying, myself, I'm going to land the seizure. I'm going to land the seizure. I'm going to land – before this finished, I'm landing the seizure. I was like, so – so um, every afternoon I'd go up there and I'd be watching people land, watching people land. And now the 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 seizure LZ is right up against the side of the mountain, right? So you've got the mountain coming straight down, um, and I think that side, I think that side of the mountain faces faces north. So it's it's it gets like it gets the like it's quite cold there in the afternoons. And so when people come in to land, um, they would come in. Uh, because the wind by that stage would be catabatic. And so you'd come in over a little creek. There's a little creek bed and into the sea, into the seizure LZ, into the baseball diamond. And because you're coming into a, into a catabatic wind that's coming down the hill, you got a headwind and just come and land, right? So you can come over the town because the town's a fair bit lower than the baseball diamond over the town and just like almost land on like a, like a little shelf, like a little aircraft carrier and land. So I'd been watching people. All day, all, all week, watching them land, watching them land, watching them land, picking up skills, tips, where they were setting up, that sort of stuff. Had it all nailed. Anyway, so the last day, I'm thinking, I'm going to land in the seizure, I'm going to land in the seizure. So we drive up the hill and we get to the launch there. And, of course, what happens is a big thunderstorm setting up out to the, to the east, right? So I'm standing there and I was watching this storm coming, sort of heading in towards us. And I really wanted to fly. I really, really, really I like. There was my. I was obsessed that I, I was going to land in the in the baseball diamond. Right. So, so I'm standing there on launch, and the storm's getting closer and closer. And the you know, like the calm before the storm. There's no no wind at all. And I didn't even like. You know, there's a storm out in the. There's a storm like probably, I don't know, maybe ten miles away, just over top of the mountains. Right. But I'm focused. I'm going to land. I'm going to take off here, and of course, on 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 um um on tell you right there, you've got this ridge that where you launch from this ridge that goes down towards the town, right? And if you go to the 
east, when you take off, you go to the east, you're going out over town. You go to the west, you go out towards the, the leisure LZ, right? And you have to make a choice. Well, you can you can launch from the east and still get around the leisure, but you, but it's a little bit more of a squeaky glide, right? So we're, so I'm standing there on the launch, and there's no wind at all, but I knew if I want to land the season, I've got to go off the east side. Right? So I'm standing there, and, and the storm is getting closer and closer, and this guy, the launch marshal, goes, he says, I'm going to close the launch in five minutes. And there was no wind. And I'm at 12,000 feet, right? 12,000 feet in the hang glider. And you, need, you, know, you really need, need a bit of wind to take off in the hang glider at that, at that altitude. So I'm, sta- so I'm standing there. And um, a big stick. Can you hear that bird? Yeah, well, I was going to say, what's, what, is, what is that? <laughs> it, it, that, that, bird, that bird is an annoying it's a very beautiful. It's called a butcher bird, and it sits. And when it rains, it's raining here right now. When it rains, it sits out. I've got a harness hanger outside my shop here, and it sits on top of the harness hanger and sings the most amazingly beautiful uh, call, but very loud, very loud. <laughs> and it's very annoying. I'm on the phone. I think run outside and just shoo it away because it's just beautiful. It sits there. Sometimes it actually comes inside my shop. It's, it's a little black and white bird. Looks like it looks like a magpie. Like they're beautiful, it's quite but they're, a nice sound. they're quite aggressive. They eat. Oh, it's a beautiful. It's it's it. They have the most. They have the most melodic sound. Them and the magpies have the most melodic sounds of any birds in the world. I think it's like really they have the most beautiful vocal range. Anyway, that's part. That's that's something else. So here we go. We're back. We're back on. We're twelve thousand feet on no on on the top of the mountain. On the top of the mountain, about to to take off. Right. And the guy goes, I'm shutting the launch in five minutes. I'm waiting. I want wind. I want wind. I want wind. And finally, and, and, he's, and he's counted down. He says, three minutes, two minutes, one minute. And he says, launch closed. And I just took the picnic glider and ran like stink. I just ran as hard as I could down the hill. And down the hill. And there's a road, the, the, the road, the access roads, though, are probably about maybe 30, 40 yards down the hill. He had to go. And I ran down and dove over the, the, the road and almost hit the ground again. Running down the hill, just because you know, by this stage I was still I was I was pretty good at launching hang gliders, but I but I had to run so fast, so fast. So anyway, I've got off the hill and I'm flying out and I'm flying out towards the town, and I'm going leisure seizure, leisure seizure. Like you know, just you know, you have all the idea you're going to land in the in the in the hard landing field, but they said you're not allowed to do it. You're not allowed to do it, and I'm going to do it. But there's a storm, and am I good enough? And am I going to kill myself? And I'm going to look really bad with all the people there. And I'm going to I'm, I'm disobeying their rules. So anyway, I'm flying. I'm I'm flying out towards the landing field. I'm flying out towards the landing field, and um, and then I finally I, I go. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll do the seizure. So at one, so at this point here, there was no going back. I had to. You get the point. It's, I have to land in the middle of town. Landing in I, a building. Caesar, I'm landing in the middle of town. I'm going to I'm going to be landing the top on the top of the supermarket. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to be landing somewhere. So anyway, I'm flying out towards the landing field, and then actually, so this so on this flight, I was using this new hang glider I bought after I'd after I was flying the after I destroyed my other hang glider at Lakeview. I'd bought this new hang glider. It was called a um, a seed wing sensor, and it had this it had the leading edge material was this very special material that was super, super smooth, and like it was like glass. And what would happen is, when you went flew in the rain, the glass, the the raindrops would beat up on the leading edge and make the thing stall at a much higher speed, a much higher airspeed, right? 
what you're better off to have on the leading edge is like ripple stuff, a little bit like vortex generators on an airplane. They have like they like like golf balls yeah. have little ripples on yeah. them to make the to keep the airflow connected to the it it, it makes the it breaks up the the lamp it breaks up the laminar flow a little bit and makes a little bit of turbulence on the top. So this glider was very renowned for hating being flown in the rain, right? So, and and it would just you know, even at a trim speed, like you're flying at trim, it's just on a stall all the time. So you keep flying really, really fast. So I'm flying out around the town, thinking now, okay, I've got to, I've got the landing field all sorted. I'm just I'm not I'm just going to go in and going to land, right? So I'm flying around, and suddenly I guess it starts raining on me, and I'm in the I'm flying over Telluride at eleven thousand feet in a glider that wants to stall at about forty five mile an hour, right? <laughs> and so I'm. So I'm thinking, okay, I've got to, I've got to suss, I've got to suss. Then I realise that the that this storm is pushing a gust front up the valley towards the town, rather than the catabatic coming down the hill. So now, rather than having, oh, so the landing that I'd worked out for the last week is pretty blown out of the water. Now I've got to approach from the side of the hill, and the and the the um. The landing field, the baseball dome, is really small and right against the side of a, of a tree-covered, it's a pine tree-covered mountain, right? And I'm going around and thinking, I, 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 you know, like at that point there, I, you have to take control of the situation because no one's going to help you. Yeah. Like no one, you're just there and you've made the decision and you can't do anything about it. You just, you like, you're in the middle of the ocean by yourself in a canoe and that's it. And you just got to go, what am I going to do? I've got to paddle and stay, stay alive. <laughs> so I, so, and there's this other guy. So, and I just end up in the landing place with some other dude as well. And I'm thinking that's all I need is someone else. And we're both at the same altitude and we've got this tiny little field and we can't extend our lives at all. And so anyway, this, and, and we, it's, it's getting quite heavy rain. And so I can't, so I've like I was smart enough to go like right in deep against the side of the hill, a big cranking turn against the side of the hill with wingtip like right almost on the on the baseball diamond, with a diving turn back into the into what wind there was now because the wind had sort of backed off a little bit. And as I was coming across the baseball diamond, this other guy <laughs> came screaming from my left, plowed into the ground in the baseball diamond, and just wiped his gloves, skidded across on this wet grass right across in front of me. <laughs> As I'm coming in, I'm coming in, setting up, trying to be all like really, really, really calm. And this guy come <laughs> just wipes out across the across the field in front of me, you know. And so then, and so, but I I do this most amazing. So like I've just I I just land and I flare the glider and I just drop the wingtip a little bit and I was so happy that I I got to land the seizure. Now and I'm carrying my glider back over, and who should be standing? At the uh, the grandstand, right next to the grandstand, of, because the you know baseball dime's got the grandstand there, and you have to walk the glider out. John Heine stand there, and he goes, "Not bad." <laughs> he just says, "He just says, not bad." And, and like I, I wasn't, I was at that stage, I wasn't a really good friend of John's. So I just, but I just, John was like an idol to me, you know. And he was like the most amazing acro pilot, and he goes, "Not bad." Uh, <laughs> and nice. I went, "Wow!" Like not only have I landed the seizure. I've and I've flown this bloody sensor through all the rain, but John Heine's told me that I'm not bad. <laughs> I think, wow, like I, I have, I have made it. Now so I really am a legend. It, <laughs> and then, and then, and and then, just the last, the, the last icing on the cake is we had this, like a, um, it was a, 
a prize giving thing, you know, like for the after this competition sort of thing, you Bob, you know, and um, and so they gave me the rookie of the year award, right? Ah, nice. Uh, because they, they, yeah. So the rookie of the year, and so I walked out. I had this. I was feeling chuffed, you know, and I walked out, and I was standing next to the front door of the little of the of the room where we're having the prize giving, and Mitch Mackley walks out and he goes, he goes, nine months. I said, yeah, nine months. She says, wow, and just turns around and walks off. <laughs> He just goes, he goes, wow, and then walks off. And I went, well, I get, I, I don't know how to take that, but I know, Mitch, I know John Heine said pretty good, and and Mitch McAleer goes, wow. well, that he goes, he goes, wow, and, and I thought, well, yeah, I, I maybe I'm pretty good. I don't know, but, but then dangerous but then words proceeded, to hear. Nine months to, in, isn't it? <laughs> Uh, but but I proceeded to out to 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 get myself in a lot of shitty places after that because probably because I thought I was pretty damn good, um, and end up like getting yeah getting getting myself. I was very lucky. That I was after that. I was pretty lucky to survive um, what I was doing because I was I, I wasn't being really stupid, but I was flying in places that were that were really radical for my skill level. I, I still didn't know enough about the atmosphere, you know, which is what's really important when you're flying a paraglider or a hang glider is to know more about the air than it is about how to fly the glider. Yeah, sure. You know, that's, that's the most important thing is understanding the atmosphere. That's what I say to all my students is that the number one skill you need to develop in paragliding is to, to understand where you want to be and where you don't want to be, and that's how to understand what the air is doing. Mm. And what the year's going to do. You know? Question for so you: anyway, is totally, that, yeah. totally left field here. But before we started talking, you talked. <laughs> you you said that you had actually instructed, and I remember Nick telling me about this. But you instructed Nick Nanins, yeah. and you went to you went to beer together back when he was a total newbie flying yes. the Bolero. Yes. What makes? Yes. I would imagine Nick was a terrific student. You know, we went on to see all his incredible <clears throat> accolades and flying all over the world and all of his bivy yeah. expeditions and incredible exploits. And, you know, <clears throat> uh, what makes, let me try to rephrase this. You know, you have taught a lot of people for 30 something years. You've taught everybody. I know, I've taught actually a lot of, a lot of people have become really good at flying. I know if you've yeah I don't, I don't know if you ever interviewed Wally actually, yeah, yeah Wally was on the um, show about yeah Wally ago. I saw he was, he's an amazing pilot he was my he was one of, he was my student as well he was one of my students um, so you know Wally is a little different than Nick Nick's just a bit you know Wally's very organised very you know Wally's an amazing pilot like he's he's so and he he yeah I I admire him so much for how his ability to organise things and to to be so you know, so good at flying, but so good at teaching and so good at everything. He's a really, he's amazing. He's a really good mate of mine too. But with Nick, with Nick, Nick, um, he, the thing that I really, I really learned from him, because I did, I've done quite a few volbies with him. We did, we did quite an amazing um, few days down in Tasmania uh, probably three years ago. Uh, just him and Nick and myself, we went down there and did some volbies through the, through the ranges down there in southwest Tasmania in, in absolute tiger country, like crazy stuff. But that's that's for another time. But um, and then I did I did a vibe with him, with him in um, uh, in Pakistan, um, just a really nice one up towards um, Spantic. Um, and so the thing that that really uh, that that I learned from Nick was Nick's amazing ability to 
not get stressed in stressful situations. Mm. Right? That's what made him. That's what made Nick the pilot he he is. Because um, what he would do, you know. So what most people do is they have a plan A, and they have a sort of a plan B in the back of their mind. They go, well, that doesn't work. So Nick would always have a plan B that was just as just as just just as organised as the plan A. Mm. But the thing what's happened, what happens too is that sometimes when it goes from plan A, plan B, if A is not going to work, plan B is going to, it has to work. If that goes pear-shaped, because the conditions change completely, most people lose their shit. Yep. Most people just, they, they go, oh, like suddenly the stress comes up and you don't think straight and you start making really, really bad mistakes, right? The one thing Nick always did is he was able to just think completely clearly about the how about the next step to not get himself into trouble yeah and and because you know with with flying with flying it's it's so it, it's so much a mental game right it's it's an amazing mental game and if you don't and and most people can fly in in most in in a lot of conditions if they if they keep their mind on the on the job, right? And the thing with Nick is that even if things were going wrong, he's, he was able to keep himself completely focused and work out a plan, mm. like work out a plan. And so I, 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 there would be times when I was flying with him and I'd go, what are you doing that for, dude? <laughs> like, what are you – why are you going over there? But he'd go over there and it'd, it'd work out because I would be getting really stressed. I remember we were in, um, uh, in Pakistan doing a – Doing a Volbiv, and we were flying back towards um, towards um, uh, Karanabad, which is where we were staying. And um, after we'd done the Volbiv that night, the night before, and we miss—I sort of misread the valley. There was a, there was a big, steep gorge we had to fly down to get out of this valley. And um, and Nick was and Nick ended up like really low in this valley, getting trash. I was I was so happy to get a good climb, and I was way up on the top of the, the mountains. I was looking down. I'm thinking, mm, what's he going to do? What's he going to do? So I, I didn't want to let him. I, you know, I didn't want to leave. Get him. I didn't want him to leave me behind. So I just, you know, even though he's down low, I pushed ahead. I pushed out and sort of got down to where he was. But we both got stuck in this quite strong valley wind, and I was looking. And I thought there's just a just rocky, raw, rocky gorge down below. You know, this glaciated river, just massive bowls and sort of stuff. There was a landing field that we could take and go further back down the valley and land there, but it was still big boulders. And I I had this idea. I said, I'm going to push down the valley and try and get out through the end of this gorge to a big open river flat. And Nick goes, that's going to work. That's not going to work. He said, the wind's too strong. He said, we're just going to land. We're just going to land here on the side. Of this Like this scree slope was so steep that that when you stood on it, you just couldn't even stand. You just slide down the steep, down the scree slope. But it, to him, it was a landing field. And I didn't even look at it as a landing field. I was I was getting stressed because I, because I was you know it wasn't what I thought was going to happen because I you know like the conditions weren't as I thought they were going to be. Mm. But Nick goes, Nick calmly goes, nobody's going to land up here, and we just went and landed on the side of this scree slope, sort of slid down to the little road at the bottom and packed up and walked out. Mm. And that's the sort of thing when when Paul, when you fly around. with Nick, he he would just he would always have another plan. Yeah, always, and and he would never get stressed. And very um, totally independent, totally self-sufficient. He would, he would never need anyone to do anything for him. Yeah. Like as far as, as far as you know, 
Uh, like he would be happy to go. Like when I first taught him, the first thing he did is went back to New Zealand with his little Bolero and started flying in, in up, you know, doing hike and fly and trying to do volbib up in the mountains. And he'd only been flying for like a month and two months. He come back to me. He says, "How come I go backwards in valleys?" <laughs> and I go, "Maybe you guys, maybe you guys, the winds a bit too strong for your Bolero." <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Yeah, amazing style. Didn't I, mean, I think didn't he didn't him at all. I think he he was the first one that that I had I heard say. I mean, we all think this, you know, when you're talking about Plan B, Plan C, that kind of thing. But his his whole thing for, you know, when it gets rowdy or stressed, he's got kind of a series of things. One is just turn your variable mm. off. You know that that reduces yeah. a lot of stress because it's making all these crazy mm. noises. Mm. You know, screaming mm. thermals mm. and massive sink, and well, just turn that off. Mm. And then the second thing was, you know, yeah. if it's too, if it's gnarly where you are, just go fly somebody else, somewhere else. <laughs> yeah. You know, which in other in other words, it may not be really great to land because the valley winds are cranking, or you're like you say, mm. you're in a storm mm. and that kind of thing. Well, just go yeah. to another valley. You know, fly somewhere else. It's yeah. going to be better somewhere else. <laughs> yeah, no, he is, he's he's amazingly centered when it comes to Stress. stressful situations. Yeah. And um you know, I I remember like uh we were in in, in Tassie and uh I, I won't tell you all this whole story, but I ended up having to get helicoptered out off the off the mountain. I got I got stuck in impenetrable, in inescapable scrub. I was walking, I I but I'd like we were flying together. We were heading towards over these mountains up towards another range, and I ended up just making a wrong decision. I thought I'd just land and relaunch when they got better because the thermals weren't as good as we thought they were going to be. And I I ended up just landing in the totally wrong place because I thought that's what Nick would do. And Nick goes, no, I, I, he just kept flying. He went over the mountain, over down this valley, got a climb, in, and went over to another side of the, to another, another mountain about five miles away. And just ended up over there and, and, and end up landing there, walking up the hill and taking off. And because he went to a hill that was a, that he could see it was a better proposition for a thermal, even if he got over there low. But I just thought, well, I'll just land here because I'll just wait, I'll wait it out here. But he just, he doesn't think that's, it doesn't get in that stressful situation. He would just go, well, I can see a hill over there. It's going to work. Mm. Like it's not, it's not that I don't, under, it's not that I don't know that that was going to work. It's that when it gets stressful, um, I I don't think of all the options. Yeah. I don't I don't allow my head to think all those all the options. Um, but Nick had that ability to do that. And I don't know. I mean, I mean, in your experience teaching all these people all these years, I mean, that doesn't seem necessarily like something someone could learn. You know, that's just who Nick is. You know, I mean, that's that that's uh, not by by a long shot. Yeah. It's it's like you can you can have all the uh, skill in the world. You know, the interesting thing is that, you know, I don't think Nick wouldn't mind me saying this, but you know, there, Nick isn't the best, the best part in the world. But what makes him vastly better than the majority of pilots in the world is his ability a to fly the glider. He flies them pretty damn well. But his ability to think clearly in stressful situations. Yeah. That 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 is, you know, and you've just, you know, you watch what he's done since he since he had his accident and broke his back. He does. He does. He's just completely calm and and accepting of, of where he is, what he's doing, and moves on and just does something. Where he doesn't. He doesn't. Doesn't dwell on, on things that are that are possibly going to hold him back. He just goes. Well, there's an option. There's another. There's an opportunity there. I'm just going to take that. You know. And that's that's it's, it's incredibly inspirational when you see people like that. Like that does. 
you know, he inspires me and he inspires a lot of people in the world. You know, Nick, he's, a, he's an amazing man. Yeah, really, really yeah, is. Truly. And, and um, Phil, an, another thing I, I, I know you're, I know you're super into hike and fly. Craig was telling me you're, you're breaking all these records. You're, you're 65 and you're just chasing it super hard. I can tell the way you talk. Mm-hmm. You've got an insane amount of energy. <laughs> um, but at the same time, you, you know, all these years of teaching and you came up through the sport mm-hmm. when the carnage was massive. And mm-hmm. then I don't know, is it packed mm-hmm. off? Is it worse? But, 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 uh, you know, you're, you've seen a lot, a lot of good, a lot of bad. Mm. Uh, how have you maintained the level that you've got for it? I mean, you know, the, the, the passion, the energy, the, the stoke. Well, yeah, well, I suppose the good thing nowadays is that there are a lot of, there are a lot of facets to fly, a lot of offshoots to, to paraglide you can do. Like back in the old days, we just you know, lobbing off the top of the hill and just gliding the bottom and it got pretty boring after a while. Um, but you know, now you can do, you, you know, you can do hike and fly, volbiv, acro, speed wing, mini wing, XC. You can do so many different things. And, you know, I, I do have a bit of a, I, 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 some people say I've got ADHD. I don't, I don't, I, I don't know. I don't think I do, but I do have, I do tend to, to go from one, one thing to another thing pretty quickly. Um, but, you know, like, so what I do now, like I've, I was a comp pilot for quite a while. I flew a lot of comps. Um, never, never won. Uh, I was never Australian champion because I'm just not. I, I don't have the mindset to be a, to be a champion XC competition pilot because I'm just not. If anyone who knows me, I'm not organised at all with instrumentation. Like instruments and me just don't mix at all. <laughs> it's just okay. I have no idea. Like I'll get on. A, I'll get on launch in a comp and I'll go. How do I even turn the vario on? You know, and I, I have no idea. Back in the old days, when you have to enter your task, your route manually on the on the Flymaster, oh, I have no idea what to do. <laughs> Nowadays, it's great. Just go to QR code, scan the QR, bingo, off you go, off you fly. So, I sort of lost, I lost, I, I was comp, I lost a bit of touch with comp flying, but I've you know, got myself back into comp flying now. I got myself a Boom Twelve, and I've been flying that. I did pretty well last year in the Australian Nationals and that. Flew it over New Zealand, come third in New Zealand last year in the in their nationals on the Boom Twelve. So I'm really like I, I I love I love pushing myself to extremes, um, to doing things like you know like flying the Boom Twelve. It's it's a pretty high end glider. So I'm sort of you know I, I'm using that as a bit of a challenge, but when it like I love I, one of my passions is hike and fly. Um, so this year I've done 171,000 meters vertical what? this year in, in since the since the beginning of the year, 171,000. Holy so shit, that's not- dude. <laughs> <laughs> Are you kidding? You got 171,000 meters. 171, so you're doing a yeah, well, I, uh, well, I some days I'll do two thousand. Okay, yeah, I do two thousand some days. Okay, um, but that's like, a pretty good average. Um, yeah, yeah. So, like, I know, I, I, I and so the thing is, interestingly, Are you going to sign up for um, the X Alps next year? I, no, no. <laughs> so interestingly, so I wish, I, I wish, I wish. There's a couple of things I wouldn't do. The, except, the reason I couldn't do the X Alps, I can't run because I have, actually have a fused ankle. Right, so uh, so one of my ankles is fused for a motorbike. I had a motorbike. I got hit by a car when I was when I was fifteen on the motorbike, and it smashed my leg up really bad. So my my ankle has actually been fused, but it got fused. My ankle was fused between the 
tib and fib and the talus bone. So it's the main, the, your main ankle. So I can't bend my foot up and down, mm. right? So it's, I can roll it side to side with the, with the lower joint, but I can't put up. So until about four years ago, my ankle was getting progressively more and more arthritic because I, you know, it, it had been, I broke my ankle in 1975. And by 2000 and 2019 or 18, my ankle was really arthritic, like so bad. And I, I couldn't walk more than, I couldn't walk more than 50 meters without being in severe pain. I was, I was taking painkillers every day, three or four times a day, right? Just continually feeding myself with, with Panadol and whatever. And, um, the reason I, I, I didn't, I'd been told by a doctor years ago I'd have my ankle fused, but I didn't want to have it fused because I thought it would stop me from walking. And I could still walk, even though I had painkillers, I could still walk, but only 50 meters or so. So um, anyway, and, and because I had thought I had an internal, I, I thought I had an allergy to, to titanium, internal titanium, because when I first broke my leg, when I got, my, I got hit by the car, they put plates and screws in my leg, which all got rejected. My body rejected all the plates and screws. They all end up coming out infected and everything else. Mm -hmm. So I thought I had this real fear that if they put anything in my body, yeah, plates or whatever, to fuse my ankle, my body's going to say, no, I have to cut my leg off. So I ended up getting an internal I, – I, I got. I found there was, only a, there was only like four places in the world you could get an internal allergy test for, for titanium, and one of those was in um, Geneva. So I was over there for a – I used to go and visit a good mate of mine who lives in Geneva, um, um, Patrick Rosa, and um, he he lives just down the road. Yeah. You know Patrick? Yeah, Nivik yeah, dealer. He's a really good mate. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he is. Yeah, he's the, he's the Nivik mate. Patrick and I are a really long-time good mates. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I, I was staying at his house, and I found that the place was just down the road from his house. So I went down there. I was staying there one year, went down there and got the test, and they said, you're completely free. You're completely okay for titanium. Pure titanium, put in your body, you don't have a problem at all. As soon as, I, as soon as I found that out, I went straight to the surgeon in Australia and said, fuse my ankle. And even though um, even though I felt that that I, it would rob me of my ability to walk up hills, I knew that I would be pain-free. Mm. So I did it, and then I found out that I could walk up hills without any pain, <laughs> like no pain. So suddenly I went from not being able to walk 50 metres to walking up hills without any pain at all, and because I use poles to help me a lot, and so the reason I walk up hills now, the reason I do Bob is because I can, not because I. It's not. It, it, it's not. It's it, because I want to, but it's if you if if you're denied the ability to do something, and suddenly you and, and they'll say, well, you can do that now. If you if this happens, you just do it. You take it. You take the ball and run with it. Yeah. And so. I've just I've gone from not being able to walk at all to to walking up mountains and like I'll walk a thousand meters up the side of a mountain without even thinking about it. Um, the good thing about doing hike and fly here is because the mountains are all small, you do get that five that three or five minute break between your hikes to fly down and then walk up and fly down, walk up, fly down. So like I'll do my normal hikes will be so so I've got a I've got a flying site in my property here. So I, I live in a town, town called Canungra and um, I live on 60 acres. My 60 acres go straight up the side of the hill. So it's a long, thin block goes top of the mountain. So I, go, I walk out my door of my house, walk straight up to my launch site and fly down to my front yard. And the hike up is 270 metres high. So I do 270 metres. 
So I just did this morning. I walk up, fly down, walk up. Now just I bundle my glide into a little into a into a like eighty liter bag. I just I fly a little Gin Griffin fourteen, and I just go up, walk up pretty fast. I'm not I, I, again. I can't run. I just yeah. like uh, in, in, I can run to launch. So I can I can launch a. I'd fly an eleven meter. I weigh ninety kilos. I fly eleven meter Gin Griff, uh, Gin uh, fluid. When I'm flying, when I can, when I have the sights to fly it, but normally I just fly a 14 Griffin here because it gives me a good glide. And um, so I walk up, set up, fly down, walk up, set up. So I did, this morning I did three of them. Um, in there was a lot of cloud around just as rain was just coming in. So I, I got three in before it started raining. Yesterday I did um, I did six off another hill that's about 350 meters high. So I did six in the morning of that one there. Jeez, dude, um, I just you've taken that ball and run really far with it. <laughs> That's well, amazing. Well, again, and if you can, like, you know, honestly, like there, are, I remember this 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 ex girlfriend I had had this son who was he had, he was a really nice kid. He was autistic, and so it, and so he had, yeah, he was the same height as me. Everything he had the like he was only seventeen, eighteen. Had the they're like perfectly physical, able bodied. And he wouldn't want to do anything with his body. He'd just sit in front of the TV and watch and, and play games. And I'm thinking, dude, give me your ankle. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> give yeah, yeah, me yeah, your ankle. Because yeah, yeah. and, and I'm just thinking, You're wasting you know, it. If if he was, if he was robbed of the ability to walk, I'm sure he. And they'd said, you can walk now. Then you would just start walking. Mm. Yeah, you know, because you just go, well, I've been given that opportunity to start doing it. And so that's why, like, you know, even though I've been told by surgeons to have my knee replaced because my knee's pretty stuffed. From using it from you know, when my my ankle was really bad, the other knees got stuff. But I don't want to stop because if you stop, you don't start again. And because you got given this gift of being able to do things, then why not do it? Mm. Yeah, I why mean, not they, do it? But I they, I am lucky. I'm I'm lucky. I live, I live like so. I can do hiking. I can do like a two fifteen hundred meters hiking and flying at my probably without even starting the car. I just walk straight up and fly down. Yeah. Um, I can all the sites around here are within five, well, maybe ten minutes drive or motorcycle ride from my house. So I can, I can just go to an, you know, if it's east, I go over the back of the to another hill behind my property, and that's only a ten minute ride on the motorbike. So I go over there and I can do, you know, so I don't have to worry about driving from Brisbane down to here, which is like an hour's drive. So I'm sure if I lived in Brisbane, or if I lived an hour away from here, I probably wouldn't do as many hikes, but. You know, I'm in a place. I'm in a place where I can do it. I have a, I have a body that can do it, and I think, well, why not do it? <laughs> I mean, they they my, why not do my, it? my my wife's a personal trainer, and she has this saying. You know, if you want to be going upstairs when you're 80, you go upstairs when you're 50. You know, you got to be doing it now if you're doing it if to do it then. Exactly. You know, you want to dance, you got to dance. I do enjoy I do enjoy the the challenge of keeping up with people or or beating people who are half my age. It's oh like, yeah, I, I like up the up the hills, I do. I do tend to push it a bit. Everyone knows me as a bit of a mountain goat, so I do push it a little bit. But it's not. It's not because I want to beat them. It's just maybe because I just don't want to come second. I don't know. It's not. <laughs> okay. So hey, there's. Uh, I, I want to ask you a few questions that are that are shorter, just because my editor at some point uh, he's yeah. going to say, "Dude, we we can't just do a three off. hour show." Yeah, exactly. Uh, but you've, sorry. you've I'm no, sorry. no, no, no. This is awesome man but i i want to know i want to know a few things best place in the world to fly because you've been all over the place when you when you're when you're sitting there in canungra you know tomorrow you want to take off and go somewhere where would you go 
Well, if, if it was closer, if it was closer and it you know, wasn't such a drag to get there, I love Iceland. Oh, Iceland wow. is amazing. Okay. Amazing. It's not such a, it's, it's a, if you can do XC there, it's amazing for XC, but it's not, a, it's not, it's definitely not a good, it's not a good XC pace, but if you can get XC there, it's great. It just, it's, it's a wild windswept adventure paradise mm. for, for coastal soaring, for strong wind stuff with small wings. It's just, no, it's not a, it's not a, it's not a, it's not a speed wing place, more of a mini wing place. Um, it's just because it's the whole place is on no trees, you know, you just, yeah. you just look up a hill, you walk up a hill and take off and fly. It's just, it's quite stunning. So I, I love Iceland. I really, really love it. Um, I certainly, I certainly love beer, mm. but if you get the beer and you get the mountains and get out of the back over towards Manali, it's, it's the most amazing parrot playground for doing bowl beer. It's, it's a beautiful, beautiful place. Um, I do. I do like um, – I've just – I spent a little bit of time in South America last year or this year, early this year, in Bolivia. And I'm going to go back to Bolivia uh, there. I found that – like I really, really enjoyed that place. Um, because it's you know, I love you – know, a lot of big uh, Big mountains. There. You know, the Andes are amazing. Um, I just – you know, I like, I like places that people don't go to. That's I, I sort of prefer those places. That's why, you know – not like a lot of people go to Iceland, but they don't go there for flying. They go there just to look around. So you, when you fly there, there's hardly one there. Beer, the same thing. When you go to the back, there's not that many people flying at the back of beer. Um, in Bolivia, there's only like, I think there's 20 piles in the whole country. Like it's, it's, it's an amazing place to, to fly in the volcanoes and get, you know, like launch heights of four and four and 5,000 meter altitude, that sort of stuff. It's, it's, it's quite a stunning place. Um, I certainly, you know, I like flying around Canungra. It's a it's a it's a beautiful area. Flying in my local area has real challenges. Um, you go from small hills to flatlands to back to hills to flatlands again. It's um, it's great for for triangles. It does. It Canungra is a little bit of a problem with sea breeze comes in in the summertime, pretty sort of early two o'clock in the afternoon. That and that stops you from getting back here. Uh, back to Kananga because you mostly go west and you have to come back towards the coast to, to do a return. But it's got some amazing challenges. It's, a, it's, it's like a, you know, everyone goes to Manila for in, when they come to Australia, they tend to go to Manila. But, um, you know, Kananga, it's just you know, the launches aren't very high. Um, they're not very big launches because, you know, we just we try and keep the, the, try and keep ourselves sort of low key as much as we can. But it's a, uh, it's an amazing place for flying, for challenging yourself to fly cross country here. It's it's really nice, mm. um, and I do I do like I do like Coriong as well. Coriong is a really nice place down just above Bright in Victoria. Yeah, and they have um, good comps there. That's a nice place. How, mm, okay, yeah. how about this one? Yeah. Uh, when you look back at your long career of flight and passion and just being in the air, all these all these hours. If you could rewind mm. the clock, go back to that, you know, either late seventies when you first got into hang gliding or, you know, early nineties, you were forced into paragliding. What do you, what, mm. what, what do you know now that you wish you could have known then? What could, what could yourself go back to, you know, your 30 year old self and go, dude, uh, this is what you need to know. Would you change anything? Um, probably not. Because I guess, well, you know, I suppose because I didn't, I didn't really, I didn't really hurt myself that bad. I did, hurt, I did have a, I did have a major, a major accident in Bali, 
Uh, that's another. That's another epic that I could tell you about. That that was. And on, have you ever been to Bali? I have. Yeah, many times. Yeah, so I I, I crashed on Timber Beach really badly, mm. really badly, and um, end up end up six weeks in hospital on front of the back, um, break the break the pelvis and spoke us break the back in the pelvis Ooh. on um, on Timbers. Oh, <laughs> and and his that. So uh, you want to do a quick little quick story about that? Yes. That was a bit of an epic. I um, um, I just been over to, to Indo and and we'd done the Indonesian nationals in on in Java. And we're on our way back to um, back to Australia, and I thought I'd just drop in and see a few people. I'd taught them how to fly. They were living. They lived in Bali in in Kuta, but they were um, um, but they they, but I taught them in Australia how to fly. And so we came back. This is this is in '95, so there's hardly anyone flying paraglides in Bali at all. Timbers Beach, you get Timbers, and there be no one flying, right? Yeah. So I um, I, I was I was spending about three days in 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 Kuta, and I didn't find a Timbers a little bit, just cruising around. I had a I had an Adele Energy. I don't know if you've ever heard of an Adele Energy, but they were one of Mr. Jin's last designs for Adele. Yeah. Anyway. So, um, and so I, I'd heard about this site called Chandy Dessa, yeah, uh, which is up the up the up the up the coast. So I went up there, got there, no one flying there. Found where the found where on the this side of a hill there was some old rice, there was old terraces. Took it off, had a beautiful flight there. The last day of my train, the last day of my stay in in Indo, right, and so I was flying there the day before. And I had to get back to Cuda to get my flight at eleven o'clock that night to back to Australia, right? And I'd rented a little motorbike, and I, I was I was at Chandy Dasa on the motorbike. So that morning, I got on the little motorbike, and I was chuffing back down to to Cuda. And I get I coming into Cuda about two o'clock in the afternoon, right? And I was coming in there. This is a good story about about um, um about listening to yourself and what you should do and what you shouldn't do, right? So I'm going along the motorbike and I'm coming towards – and so, I, like, I'd come second in the Indonesian Nationals, second to uh, – I know Charlie Filet, a good mate of mine at that time. Um, and I had this past paper bag full of rupees. Like, the, the amount of money they gave you for winning this – for coming second in the comp was – I had this massive bag of money. And so I'm coming in, and 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 so I was. That bag had been left at my fence place in Cuda, where I just I was staying there for a couple of days. And I'm riding back into 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 Cuda on the motorbike, and I'm thinking, mm, I've got my glider in back. I might go and have a quick flight Timbers before I go back to to Cuda. And I'm thinking, I should go and buy my girlfriend some presents with the money I made. I think I should go flying. I think I should go and back and. Back and buy some presents. Maybe I should go flying. I'm going towards the point where I've got to do a right hand turn to Cuda or go straight to Timbers. I'm going along, going along, going along, and I'm and, and it's getting it's getting more and more intense. Do I go buy presents? Like the airplane's leaving at eleven o'clock. Like and so so I so and so I make the choice. I'm going to go fly. So I ride up to Cuda. I mean up to Timbers, and I ride the little motorbike across the dirt to Timbers. No one there, of course. This is 95. No one flying. Perfect. On like a train, right? Mm-hmm. So I get me 
and and by the so I'm you know I've been teaching for five for four years or three years. And I was I was you know I, I was reasonably skilled at flying a paraglider. Um, so I take off from from Timbers there, and I'm going left along the ridge there. The wind was a little bit cross from the left, right. So I'm pushing along the left, and you know when you go to the left, you go along, and the, the ridge cuts around a little bit, and there's yeah. a bit more of a bowl that faces yeah. more into that in that left wind, right? Yeah. So I'm going along there, and I'm and it's little some little temple up there, and I'm, I'm cruising around by myself, having a fat old time, like right? really cruising around, enjoying it, and I'm looking at my watch, and I'm thinking, yeah, I really should need, I need to go back, I really do need to go and land and go back to 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 Kudo. So this is the last day of last my second of, of flying, my. Yeah. Last flight of the last day of my of the of the comp where it always where I'd is. won all this money. I'd have all these really good it flights, right? Is. And I'm flying, and I'm flying, and I so I flying back towards the the, the launch, and I'm going to top land, and I've got this glider's got it's an old the old Adele Energies used an old company used to have trimmers and a speedboat, mm-hmm. so trimmers and a speedboat. So, and I'm I'm an old hang glider pilot. I like. I like the the speed rush you get about doing a fast run along a ridge, you know. So I've got a slight tailwind because the wind's coming up my ass a little bit, and I'm flying down the ridge, and I've got the bar full on. I'm flying really close to the ridge, screaming along on this energy, getting a good ground rush because I'm a little bit tailwind. And then I decide, I have no idea why I decide to do it, I let the trimmers full up, full open. So I've got the speed bar full on, and the trimmers full open, which doesn't do anything in coastal air until I go just past launch where they've now got that big hotel complex down the bottom below the right-hand side launch. Yeah. But back in those days, it was just – it was seaweed farms and some little paddocks down there. And this used to kick off, kick off thermals there, and it was still a bit thermic. And I went and I went past launch, and Charlie was on launch, Charlie Filet, who was, was, he'd, he'd been travelling with me, uh, we'd had we'd had a little bit of an argument, and that's why we didn't turn up on the hill together. We I, I I didn't want to know about him anymore. But I went past launch, and he's standing on launch, and I just waved at him. Went past launch. All I was going to was going again down the ridge. I was going to do a left hand one eighty, come back and land. Yeah. And I went down, and I went about oh, probably three hundred meters past launch, and he got this massive asymmetric on the right hand side, and went straight into the hill. Yeah, like straight in into the side. Like it was more, actually, sort of a bit of a glancing blow as I went into the hill. I sort of hit, sort of, on my left side, in a glancing blow into the side, into rocky, shitty, cactus-covered side of a cliff. Right, and Charlie saw me. He saw the big collapse and just saw me disappear. So luckily, and I'm lying on, I'm just lying there, and I'm trying to feel my feet. And I could feel my toes, which I thought, well, that's good. <laughs> and I moved my moved my right leg. I thought, that's good. I couldn't move my left leg at all. Like my left leg just wouldn't. I could move my foot, my left foot. But I couldn't move my left leg. Mm. So I end up, um, I was lying there thinking, how st- that was really stupid. <laughs> that was really stupid. I'm in a lot of pain. And then, um, so Charlie takes off because he couldn't get to where I was by walking. So he took off and flies across and lands right where I was. And, um, you know, Katut, who runs the Paragon, he runs a tan, he runs a tandem business there on um, on Timbus. Anyway, he's been he's been there. He started his business that year that I crashed. He was actually there as well. So Katut and Charlie turn up 
with me. I'm lying in my harness on the side of the hill. So they pick me up in the in the harness and throw me in the back of a little Suzuki Jeep. <laughs> and I'm just like, just throw me in the back of the thing and then uh, dancing down the road. Bam, 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 bam. And we get out. Ouch. I, I have no idea what's wrong with me. I have no idea what's wrong with me, right? So I just, I know I've got excruciating pain in my in my groin. I thought I'd just torn ligaments in my in my groin. That's what I thought I'd done because I couldn't move my leg. I thought, oh, I'll probably, you know, torn torn tendons or ligaments or something. But anyway, take me to a doctor on the way back to Cuda. Doctor goes, I think you should go to the hospital. And I went, I'm going home. <laughs> and now, one thing you got to learn about when you go overseas, it's a good thing to have, to have travel insurance, yeah. which I didn't. Yeah. <laughs> I. I'd tell you, I'd, I'd admitted to travel insurance, so I had no way. I had no way. Of, I wasn't about to ring up travel insurance company, so get me home. So, I so the guys got me in the back of the little Suzuki, and, and they say, "What do you want to go to the hospital?" I said, "No, no, I go to my mate's place." So they drive me to a friend's place in Cuda, and I'm lying there on the bed, still having any painkillers, and um, and the the girls. So there was a guy and his girlfriend who I taught how to fly, and his girlfriend had some period pain tablets, and she gave me a. A period pain tablet said, that's all I've got. I don't have anything else to give you. So she gave me this one tablet and I'm lying there on the bed. I'm lying on this bed in, and the pain's getting worse and worse and worse and worse. And the time's getting closer and closer to the time I need to, I need to go to the airport to get in the airplane. I'm going to get, get home. And, uh, and I'm thinking hospital, airport, hospital, airport, hospital, airport. <laughs> and then finally I go, finally I go, Take me to the airport. Oh, so I, no. so I, I get up and I hobble out to the car, oh. hobble out to the car, and they throw me in the back of the car and they take me to the airport, and they, and I said oh, I can't walk, so they get a wheelchair and they take me to the to the oh, check-in desk, God, no and, to the, and the lady goes, the lady goes, what's wrong with you? And I said, oh, I've just hurt my ankle. Um, <laughs> she said, oh, it's okay. You can get on the airplane. Get on the airplane. But you can't take the wheelchair on the airplane. So it was a, it was a 747. It was a red-eye flight back from Bali. At leaving at 11, I was going to get back in, in, in Brisbane at like 8 o'clock in the morning or something oh like that. Oh, my God. Anyway, no way. There's no way you so, did this. So I get to the – they push me to the front door of the airplane, and now I've got to get out of the wheelchair. I still have no idea what's wrong with me, right? I've just, I've just got – I can't don't know, move my left leg. You've got a broken pelvis so and a broken back. No, I have no idea. So I'm, I'm, I'm using the seats like crutches. They get down, down oh the – down. God. And I, and, and and luckily, luckily they gave me a um, emergency exit row, which I, I don't know how, why they do that. But they gave me, so I lay back, put the seat back, and I actually went to sleep. And I actually slept almost the whole way. I don't know why. It must have still been a lot of adrenaline going on. And so I get to, I get, I get home, and I ring my. And so the people who come and pick me up with my my girlfriend's parents. And my girlfriend at that time, she was paragliding in Europe. She was doing a, a trip in Europe. Um, and she was in Spain somewhere paragliding. So she wasn't there to meet me, but her parents were, and they're very, very hospitable Germans, right? And so I said, don't be surprised if I come out in a wheelchair because I've hurt my ankle, um, but I should be okay. So I didn't want to worry, you know? So so they turn up. I come out to the car park in a wheelchair. I jump in the back of the car, and then we go back, and, and, we, and they said, oh, you want – you've just come on the, on the airplane. You want some breakfast, you want to come home and have some breakfast? And I'm going, oh, you know, like, because they're really hospitable. They really wanted to look after me. And I go, um, nah, okay, okay. So we go back to their place and I'm sitting at there. So it's, I'm sitting, they give me a little bit of a help to get into the house. I'm sitting at the, ki- the kitchen table having some breakfast. 
and the pain is just getting so bad in my groin. And I'm thinking, and I say to them, um, I, I need to go to the hospital. And they said, we'll drive you. I said, uh, I'll drive myself. It'll be fine. I'll drive myself. So I, I, I crawl out to the car. I get, in the, I get in the car and I drive to the hospital and I get to the car park, right? And I'm in the car. And then I think, I can't get to the, I can't get into the hospital because I can't walk. So, so I find a, an umbrella in the back of the car and I use it like a crutch and I walk across the car park into the emergency with this, with this umbrella. And, um, I get into the emergency and, and the lady goes, so what's happened with you? I said, I had a bit of a crash. It said, um, she said, well, fill this paperwork and don't sit over there in the waiting room. And I said, I'm sorry, I can't sit anymore. <laughs> I said, I've got to lie down. I've got to lie down because I'm in a lot of pain. She goes, oh, yeah, okay, okay. So they get a they get a, a, a little trolley out. They put me in the trolley and they push me into the hallway and I'm lying in the hospital. And then, then they take me into the x-ray and they do all the x-ray stuff. And they come out and I'm lying in the line and I'm just lying there. They, I think they've given me a little bit of painkillers by now. And I'm lying on the on the on the bed. And then I remember the surgeon, the doctor comes out and he says, he says, I'd make myself very comfortable on that bed if I was you. I said, Why? And he said, You'll be there for six you're gonna be there for six weeks. Oh, I said, Six weeks? What's that? He said, Well, you're breaking your pelvis in two places and breaking your back. And I said, what a cock of shit. I said, I walked in here. I'm going to get myself out. He said, no, you're not. You're going to be on that bed for six weeks. And it turned out that I was I was flat on my back for six weeks. I wasn't even able to sit up for six weeks until – and it was exactly six weeks from the time that I went in there to the time I was actually – could sit up. Six weeks. And um, and if I – so like – You're I don't know if you know about breaking crazy. pelvises. But you're pel crazy. I can't pelvises. imagine the pain. You must have the <laughs> highest pain tolerance in the world. So, but broken pelvis is quite often severed femoral arteries. Yeah. Right, quite often, a lot of people uh, die, bleed to death by having a femoral artery severed by a broken Holy. pelvis. I am so lucky I didn't do that. I, I have no idea how I did, but it broke, it broke through the hip joint, like right through the middle of the hip joint, and through the bottom of the pelvis was broken. So, <sighs> lucky it didn't displace. If it displaced, I would have been dead. But anyway, Game so over. that sort of so since then I haven't had, I haven't had an accident because I learned from <laughs> that one that you don't. You you don't use trimmers and speed at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> That's the takeaway. <laughs> but also, but but also also, if your head's telling you don't go, don't go. Yeah, like no, if someone, go buy if, presents. If, you, if you're going to go, go buy presents. buy presents for your girlfriend, do that exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you're a long time uh, herder, Dad. That's you. amazing and uh, an amazing place uh, to, to stop. That's incredible. I can't. So you did you did it like a tuck tuck drive and a, you lay down in the thing and then back to the airport and then a red eye flight and then uh, then the breakfast. Uh, and go have some breakfast before you go to the hospital. Then the breakfast Jesus. and all with a broke all with a broken pelvis and a broken back. But um, you know, interesting that um, that a good mate of mine. Um, a good mate of mine, uh, Ali Shashenko, yes, who still has the Australian distance record. Um, he was one of my team pilots, my gym team pilots, um, years ago. Um, I was flying with him in in um, in Pakistan? Um, Pakistan when he heard when he oh, broke. Yeah, wow, I was I was there. there. I was with him on that day. Oh wow! Yeah, and that was that was another one of those things where all the Swiss cheese was coming together. That was like. Of course, they'd had, you know, there was, I, I, no, I'm not going to say too much about this, but there were so many things that were. Little red flags. That were red flags. Don't do it, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. And then it happened. And, you know, like, 
and 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 a big part of it was just bad luck that he hit the ground the way he hit the ground, which caused him to break his neck. But you know, like when when those it's 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 really really hard. It's incredibly hard to see those red flags yourself, and it's even hard for people who are around you to see them until after the fact. And you go, you know, that was so obvious. But but we, at the time there, then they're not obvious to a lot of people. But if you but certainly. I've known a lot of people who've had accidents where all those, all the holes in the Swiss cheese all lined up and bang, they went. And, and it's, you know, and it's sad, you know, because Alex is a really good mate of mine and he's, you know, obviously he's in a really bad way now. And you just think if, if only one of those things hadn't happened, one of those things that he wouldn't, he would still be totally fine, you know? So it's, yeah, that's the one thing about flying that, I, whenever I take off in a paraglider, I'm still always, always um, uh, like I keep in mind that if I do it wrong, I can kill myself. Like yeah. it, it's, it's, and and I just feel I feel that a lot of people that fly don't fully appreciate how much they're putting themselves at risk in when they're flying paragliders. Because paragliding is the most amazing thing. You know, like you know, as I said, I've been flying for over 30 years and, and, and love, love the sport. I like the challenge. I like the rewards, but I'm also really, really mindful of how fast things can go wrong and how little control you have over the environment you're in. You have no control of the environment. You have control of where you want to go in the environment. But a lot of people I know, they just fly around with the, you know, the, the head in the clouds almost, you know, basically they just, they just cruise around. And, you know, and that's why a lot of people have accidents in paragliders. It's because paragliding is so easy to do. It's like, it, 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 you know, if you can't fly a paraglider, you won't fly anything else in the world because they, they are to, to actually take off and fly in a straight line takes no skill at all, pretty much. Well, take no skill to fly straight. It takes a bit of skill to take off. Yeah. But when things go wrong, they go wrong really fast in paragliders. And, and luckily that, you know, you know, I've known I've known Jin for for many many years, you know, almost thirty years. Is he, and and I take my hat off to guys like Jin who who are able to design. They've 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 um they perfected the design of paragliders, so they are so forgiving. Like the new paragliders are just so amazingly forgiving. Um, and you know, it's it's to to the full credit of people like Jin and and and, and, and you know and. and and like the other guys, those all the designers, Hannes and those guys, that who just did, um, designed the most amazing gliders that are so forgiving now that weren't that way back in the old days. But what it's done is it's let people who have no no skill and almost, you know, I shouldn't be like this, but have no right to be in a paragon. Mm-hmm. That's the one thing I, I it's almost, it's almost I, if I don't if I don't like paragliding, it's because because paragliding makes it too easy for people who shouldn't be in the air to be in the air. Yeah, I mean, Russ Ogden has a saying a about that. It's not a sport. Yeah, Russ Ogden has a say about that, that it's it, it's incredibly easy to fly a paraglider. It's incredibly difficult to fly it well. Uh, you know, it's well, just, it's, it's, it's incredibly easy. Most people are being carried by, just carried as a passenger in the glider. They're not, they're, not, they're not integral to the glider. Because the thing with a glider, that's what I try and make my students understand, is that the glider is you are part of the glider. Like the glider is the only aircraft in the world that will not fly without the pilot. Yeah. Every other airplane in the world, you can jump out and it'll fly by itself. But a paraglider is completely not an aircraft if you're not in the in the seat. So you are not just 
the pilot, you are integral to the glider's ability to fly. Yeah. And so you need to think you need to think of yourself as being part of a machine in the air, part of the device in the air, rather than I'm just flying this glider. Mm. Right? It's it's you, it's like and, and you watch people who are really good, it's an extension of their body. Mm. You know, it's and it just it's it's the way they move with the glider. It's like watching someone who knows how to ride a horse really, really, really well. They don't look like they're even riding the horse. They do, it's, they're part of this big animal that's riding around. And the same thing with paraglider. The paraglider is so big and so light and so powerful, but so but but you have to. But you're a big part of it. You know, you're ninety. You're ninety percent of the aircraft. You know, the, a the human is 90 percent of the aircraft. Yeah. The 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 thing that has I've never been able to totally wrap my head around is something we talk about on the show all the time is what you talked about with red flags, right? That mm, your mm. ignorance in the beginning, you don't know what you don't know, but it happens to at mm. every level, expert intermediate mm. syndrome, expert halo mm. syndrome, the, mm. the mm. beginner, because you don't know what you're doing. But it's the, mm. it, when you, when you dissect it, when you look back at the accident report, it's just the same as, mm. as skiing backcountry. There's always, there's always, mm. if you could just take one thing out of the equation, the accident probably wouldn't have happened. Right. So there's always these exactly. things, exactly. but like with you. If that hadn't happened, you know, we all need cheap mistakes. Hopefully we don't have the big asymmetric mm. collapse and, mm. and smack into the mm. side mm. of the cliff mm. and break our pelvis and, and, and break our back. Mm. But mm. if that hadn't happened mm. to you, it'd be hard for you to recognize the next time. You oh, know what I mean? It's totally. How the frick totally. do we teach people, you know, well, that's the problem is recognize that the red flags. Well, that, is this a red flag or is, yeah. or is it not? Or is it, you know, I mean, it, it, you exactly. got you gotta, you gotta listen to that little devil and the little angel on your shoulder. But and, I, and, I can tell you in the X Alps, you know, there's all these times where it's really intense and, and, but you just got it. You're, you're, you know, you can't listen to the exactly. devil. You gotta, you gotta fly. You're gonna deal with this, you, and, and you, you do. Yeah. But you know, but uh, but exactly. any, when you're when any time outside of the race, that would be a massive red flag. Like, dude, this is not a day to go tempt fate. You know. And and but it I don't is know how a, it to is teach that people that it's impossible. I don't know. Is it? I don't know. What do you it, teach your students? Well, certainly. Uh, with with my students, I, I tend to say to them that everyone, everyone most people will, will have an accident. Yeah, the accident is the thing you learn. That's 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 what you, it takes to learn, because you know certainly some people, some people are are, are le- a bit more risk averse and less inclined to push themselves to that point where they will have an accident. Um, some people have an accident because they're just they, they're like total bozos and they just they. they if an accident is going to happen, they're going to have an accident, but they may be lucky enough to just not have an accident. But some people will put themselves will put themselves in a situation they just don't see the flags, and they don't see the flags because they've got the blink, they've got the flag blinkers on, or they got the they got the little devil and angel earplugs in, so they can't hear the devil and angel, mm. and it takes the accident to pull the earplugs out to be able to hear, mm. and it takes the accident to take the blinkers off to be able to see. Oh, I should have seen those things happening, you know. And so, like, you know, I've got a, I've got a very, very good friend. Uh, this lady pilot I taught um, a while ago, a couple of years ago, and and she'll know. <laughs> she'll listen to this podcast, and she'll know who I'm talking about. But I've told her numerous times that if she survives, she'll be a very good pilot. She'll be one of Australia's best female pilots if she survives. And I'm really concerned. I've always said that you know, I can see. You know, I watch, I, you know, I've seen, I've taught so many people, I've watched people move through the sport 
and you can see he's going to have going to have an accident. Mm-hmm. And if they don't have an accident, it's probably because they were lucky they didn't have an accident. Mm-hmm. Uh, but a lot of them will have one, and you can tell them till you're blue in the face. And they some will listen, like this girl's listening now. She listens to me now, which is really really good. And I and I think she appreciates that I'm saying the things because I'm looking after. I don't want to see her hurt herself. But you can sort of sense that other people that I talk to that just they just it just goes in one in and out the other, and it will take them to have an accident. All I hope is it's not going to be a bad accident. Yeah, it's just going to be a, a small mistakes, a small incident. Yeah, a small incident. You know. Well, so, I, I like. I know I, it's, I, it's really hard. I, I like what you said. Uh, you know, Jeff Shapiro was one of the first people I interviewed on the show. I've had him on a couple of times, and you know, he he comes from a well hang gliding background as well, but but a big time base background and wingsuit background. And, you know, wingsuit pilots have it, have a saying that this flight, this one flight is the most important flight of your life because it is so radically dangerous. You know, there, there is no margin in wingsuit, you know, in, in, in proximity flying. And so I, I like what you said about, you know, that you just have to be constantly in the frame of mind that, this is this could kill me. This this could hurt me real bad. And that's this, and, this and, very and, basic and speed I said flight that, off my home hill mm, in benign conditions yeah, at exactly. eight a.m. could kill me. And I and if I, if you have yeah. that in mind, then and, you're going to respect it every yeah. time, right? And that's what I say. Like you know, when I get on the launch, and like the, the, our launches around here are quite uh, are quite touristy. There are a lot of tourists there, and some of my students say, "How do you take off with all these tourists around?" And I said, "I don't even know they're there because." I get so focused when I'm doing tandems there. I get so focused on the job at hand that an, an atomic bomb could go up beside me. I wouldn't even know because I'm so, so focused on what I'm thinking about, all the things I've got to do. And, and so I, and I try and, I try and impart that to my students too, that, that you just get focused on the job at hand. You focus on the situation you're in and what you're going to do. And that's why, you know, I, I spend a lot of time with my students getting them in, as good as I can on them launching so that there's one thing they have to think about when they, when they fly is what they're going to do to take off. Like their takeoff should be, should be totally um, like it should be just a, an instinctive thing to do. You don't even have to think about what you're doing with the takeoff because if you're not thinking about the takeoff, you, know, you still think, you know, obviously it, it's, it, you, you're still thinking about what you're going to do with the takeoff, but that's not taking up a huge part of your focus saying, you know, I've got to try and get off this hill safety because that becomes just a natural thing to do. And then you can think about the stuff you got to think about in the air and you got to think about as, as far into the future as you can yeah, in the air for the time you're going to be there. Instinctually, you're open to exactly. noticing everything. Exactly. Watching, looking all these other – and you're open to seeing the signs that you might not see. You're seeing the warning signs you might not see if you were so focused on one other thing. So that's one way to do it is to, to get people really good – at some of the base things, not not so good that they that they they become too soft, too too cocky, but it's more that it takes that that allows them to free up their focus to look for other signs that will be that that could be warning signs. Mm. Mm. Yeah, if that makes sense. Totally, Phil, you're a treasure, man. I appreciate what you're doing for the community and uh, and the Stoke and the Bivies and the. 171,000 years this year. There's so much more. I know. I know. There's so much more I could have told. We'll come back to, we'll do a part, part due. And uh, for sure. Otherwise my editor will kill me. 
if we keep going. But uh, just don't get me talking. Don't, don't, no, don't get me talking. I don't stop. Yeah, <laughs> sorry. No, we we got to let you talk. You're 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 good at it. Uh, my, my 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 dad would love you, man. He was Irish. He he, he loved a good story. Right. But, uh, <laughs> good I, I appreciate you, buddy. Thank you very much, and uh, thanks for sharing no, all this knowledge and and some great stories. And uh, we'll come back and get some more at some point. Thanks, bud. It's been a pleasure talking to you, mate. Pleasure. If you find the cloud-based mayhem valuable, you can support it in a lot of different ways. You can give us a rating on iTunes or Stitcher, however you get your podcast. That goes a long ways and helps spread the word. You can blog about it on your own website or share it on social media. You can talk about it on the way up to launch with your pilot friends. I know a lot of interesting conversations have happened that way. And of course, you can support us financially. This show does take a lot of time, a lot of editing, a lot of storage and music and all kinds of behind the scenes cost. So if you can support us financially, all we've ever asked for is a buck a show. And you can do that through a one-time donation through PayPal, or you can set up a subscription service that charges you for each show that comes out. We put a new show out every two weeks. So for example, if you did a buck a show and every two weeks, it'd be about $25 a year. So way cheaper than a magazine subscription. And it makes all of this possible. I do not want to fund this show with advertising or sponsors. We get asked about that uh, pretty frequently, but I, for a whole bunch of different reasons, which I've said many times on the show, I don't want to do that. I don't like having that stuff at the front of the show. And I also want you to know that these are authentic conversations with real people. And these are just our opinions, but our opinions are not being skewed by sponsors or advertising dollars. I think that's a pretty toxic business model. So I hope you dig that. Um, you can support us. If you go to cloudbasedmayhem.com, you can find the places to support. You can do it through patreon.com forward slash cloudbasedmayhem. If you want a recurring subscription, you can also do that directly through the website. Uh, we've tried to make it really easy, and that will give you access to all the bonus material, little video casts that we do and extra little uh, nuggets that we find in conversations that don't make it into the main show, but we feel like you should hear we don't put any of that behind a paywall. If you can't afford to support us, then just let me know and I'll set you up with an account. Of course, that'll be lifetime and hopefully in a, you're being in a position someday to be able to support us. But you'll find all that on the website. Uh, all of you who have supported us or even joined our newsletter or bought Cloud-Based Mayhem merchandise, t-shirts or hats or anything, you should be all set up. You should have an account and you should be able to access all that bonus material now. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate your support, and we'll see you on the next show. Thank you. Thank you.